here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. ProRisuShop.com, your only source for authentic ProRisu merch straight from Japan. Translation extraordinaire Yatsumi has helped more than 300 fans all across the world purchase authentic merchandise, and now he's bringing that savings to you. With over 300 items to choose from, ProRisuShop.com has the largest selection of New Japan and ProRisu merchandise you can't get anywhere else. Shirts, belts, trading cards, DVDs, and more from the biggest stars of Japan, like Tanahashi, Okada, Nakamura, and of course, the Bullet Club. Get them all for the same price you would pay in Japan, with worldwide shipping starting at only $6.99. For the very best in ProRisu merchandise across the world, the choice is clear. ProRisuShop.com that's P-U-R-O-R-E-S-U-Shop.com. ProRisuShop.com. Yeah, you can be the greatest. You can be the best. You can be the King Kong banging on your chest. You can beat the world. You can beat the war. You can talk to God, go banging on his door. You can throw your hands up. You can beat the clock. You can move a mountain. You can break rocks. You can be a master. Don't wait for luck. Dedicate yourself and you go find yourself. Standing in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And the world's gonna know your name. Yeah. All right, so welcome once again to the Voice of Wrestling Podcast. I'm Rich Grage alongside, as always, Mr. Joe Lanzan. Joe, this is another edition of our special Wrestling Observer podcast that we're doing. Another very special guest for us. But, Joe, before I begin, how are you? I'm doing good. This is uh this is the this is a very weird category because it's kind of a It's one of my favorites though. I love it's it. It's kind of a category within a category. It's it's the non-wrestler category and 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 it works a little bit different. Uh you, you could vote for up to 5 of these men and by placing of and it doesn't count against your 10. So, you know, in theory you could have up to 15 names on your ballot if if you if you use the full 5 out of this category. And uh you know, if you vote for someone out of this category, you're in effect also voting for their home category. So, mm-hmm. but 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 that kind of isn't an issue this year because everybody here is an American candidate. So, uh, but but you know, if there was somebody from you know who who strictly votes Europe, let's say, and and they felt that Jesse Ventura really belonged in as an announcer, and they threw a vote at him, they would you know in that situation be voting for U.S. Uh, the U.S. Canada region as well and dragging down right. the percentage of everybody else. Exactly, yeah. So it's a very odd, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's an entity all of in itself, as, as you it said. It sort of yeah. is. It's like an offshoot of a category. It's a category within a category. And the the the, uh, the scenario that I just described actually happened uh, to our guest last year. And uh, I'll let him explain that for himself. <laughs> so uh, so we're here with uh, David Bixisman. Bix, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming back and doing another category. And uh, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners uh, you know, that, that, that somewhat complicated uh, situation I described and how that affected your ballot last year. 
Well, last year I voted for Takeshi Matsunaga, the All Japan Women promoter, who was in the non-wrestler section, and we had our little to-do about that I put... I didn't abstain from Japan, which I am going to do this year, but then for the wrestlers I did a no vote, but indicating I was checking off Japan so that I was counted, but I didn't think anyone belonged and you didn't like that, but it didn't really matter. Cause I forgot that Matsunaga would be counted as a Japanese candidate anyway. Right. So in effect, <laughs> you, you, you would have ended up you, without even knowing it, you were voting for no one in, in Japan anyway, because you were voting for Matsunaga. So at all, right. I was, all, writing no, I was voting no on. It's just a misunderstanding. It, yeah. it, all, it all worked out the way you wanted it to just in not the way that, 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 that the intent was, uh, but that's not an issue this year, because like I said, and like we talked about before we got started, there's nobody in the non-wrestler category subcategory this year that that is not a USA candidate. So um, I, I really don't anticipate, uh, ha- you know, anybody having that issue, uh, you know, forgetting that they're throwing a vote at the whole category. Now, when I look at this category as a whole, I don't know if you guys disagree. I don't see anybody getting in. Uh, let me look at the percentages. Oh, wait, is there anyone that's risking dropping off? just Jesse Ventura, right? Well, if we're talking about guys with the new 15-year 50% rule, yeah, uh, yeah, then Jesse Ventura is – and Gorilla Monsoon as well. OK. So we've got two two people in danger of falling off if they don't get at least 50%. Uh, Monsoon was at 37% last year, and Ventura took a gigantic – if you remember two years ago, he was a vote or two away from getting in, and last year he only got 39%. So both of those guys are in serious danger of falling off the ballot with the 1550 rule and uh you know is in terms of how people did last year it looks like dave brown might be in trouble because he only had 12 percent. so if he drops another three percent he'll fall off the old-fashioned way yeah yeah as far as guys falling off it, it is an interesting one or not not or rather uh, getting in uh this year yeah there's a lot of guys that when, when you sort of look at this and we'll kind of break it down one by one uh as we get there there's a lot of guys floating in this kind of 30 range there's a few guys that get in the 40 percent but yeah, it's hard to really find a favorite. I mean, there are a few obviously guys that are are, are making um, you know their first appearance or redebuting on the ballot that, that that could possibly have a say in here. But yeah, it's very interesting. I don't know if I would say nobody is getting in, but somebody would need a miraculous you know kind of drive to the top, and I'm not sure who's doing that because obviously you know we're we're in the hall or you know we're in the voting season right now, and I haven't seen a ton of people go you know here's the definitive study on Jim Crockett Senior. You know, a lot of the same it it, it, it is going to be the same people sort of voting for the same people they always have. Well, plus last year it appears that a lot of people lost support because of the rule, rule change because until last year it was unlimited how many non-wrestlers sure. you could pick. That's a good point. That could explain the Ventura drop. Now, as far as Ventura goes, if, if, I, if I had a gun to my head and had to pick somebody out of here to, 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 to get elected, I would go with Ventura just because he had the 59% two years ago. So he has supporters there. And the fact that he's in on the endangered list with the 15 50 rule leads me to believe that people may throw panic votes at him thinking he may end up getting bounced from the ballot. So when you combine those two things, uh, you know, Ventura to me would be the leading candidate to get in. But other than that, and, and I don't think he'll get in by the way. And, but other than Ventura, I, I can't really see any of these guys. I mean, the next closest person, uh, last year, the closest person to getting in that, 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 that didn't get in. Cause that, you know, Matsunaga did, uh, get elected was uh, Jim Crockett senior with 44%. So no one's, mm-hmm. no one's even close. Gary Hart also got 44. Oh, no, no, no. That was the year before. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he had fallen to 34. And, and Bill After was at 43, so he was the next, the second closest there. So, it's, yeah, it's a very interesting category. Um, 
As far as maybe we can talk about Jesse Ventura first because we sort of talked about him a little bit. Would, would you either of you guys, without you know sort of displaying your your ballots or whatever, would you vote Jesse Ventura? Um, I'm not leaning towards it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm sort of with you too. Yeah, I, I don't. He does not strike me that much, Joe. We're. I I'm gonna differ a little. I'm considering it. Um, I'm considering it strongly. I have two open spots because Matsunaga. I voted for last year and he got elected and I voted for four people total last year. So I'm definitely voting for Jimmy Hart again. That's an, an unquestioned lock. I mean, there's no way I can't see not voting for Jimmy Hart. Uh, I'm definitely voting for Don Owen again, even though he's never getting in. And I can't even, I can't remember who my, uh, my fourth guy was now looking over the ballot. Was it Oakland? But, uh, yeah, I thought it was Okerlund or uh, it was either Okerlund or Finkel, I thought. No, no, it definitely wasn't Finkel. And Okerlund is someone who I'm definitely voting for uh, for sure this year. Uh, so, oh, it was Jerry Jarrett. Jerry Jarrett was my other one. Okay. So, uh, you know, with Don Owen, um, uh, Don Owen, Jimmy Hart, Jerry Jarrett, I'm definitely adding Gene Okerlund. I've already decided that because I was on the fence with him last year. And uh, I do believe he belongs. And, and Ventura is definitely one of those guys I'm considering for my fifth spot, along with practically everybody else. Because to me, this is a strong category, but but they just don't. These guys don't get the votes. I wonder how much of it is people, whether or not people actually read the rules. And I'm talking about <laughs> people. No, I'm thinking. I'm thinking no, yeah, you're, you're probably right. People like wrestlers, especially guys in WWE, who aren't you don't really even have the luxury to take much time with this. Uh, they may, you know, I'm, I'm curious about how that affects the new rule, too. How many people just aren't aware of it and just skip skip to the list and do their usual 10? Well, I'll tell you what. Somebody, Miss, Missy Hyatt brought up the Hall of Fame last night on Twitter. And somebody brought up the new rules changes to her. And she had no clue what they were talking about. And it had to be explained to her. So, <laughs> I mean, there's something to that. I mean, you know, you know. Like people like us, we're hardcore about it. We know it inside and out. We know the rules. We know what's going on. You know, most of the voters are not like that. They get this thing. They get an email. You know, they, they'll glance at it, and then uh, you know. Even when we had Matt Farmer on, you know, he he said himself that he has friends who just simply forgot to mail the thing in. So uh, I think there's definitely something to what Bix is saying. I I, I think that that may, maybe people aren't reading the rules. Very and if you remember too, the the, the day after uh, Dave sent out the ballots, he, he went on Observer Radio and said, "Yeah, I've already gotten you know like a bunch of them already." Yes. And it's just like, I mean, like that to me was just, it gave me like shivers of like these people that w within because as you're saying, Joe, they probably read the email or whatever, said, "Okay, cool, cool, cool." Yeah, this guy, this guy, this guy wrote, wrote it down without reading any. I mean, there's no way you could have actually comprehended. I mean, we, we've spent now two weeks here trying to break this down, comprehending, look in the past years doing our own research and there's people in, in 10 minutes who are filling it out and sending it that night like i can't imagine they looked at that rule looked at the last years looked at guys who are, are close like i just can't fathom that maybe they did but a lot of those i see that as you're saying they'll say oh yeah yeah, yeah there you go and that's it and it's over and that's it so yeah that's uh yeah the, the <laughs> some people it should be yeah. pointed out that missy hyatt is someone who takes this very seriously too Oh sure, sure, yeah. Right, but but the exact but the thing is, she was not yet familiar with the rules, so it, it could have come down to it. Here's someone who who takes great care with their ballot, 
but you know, she probably was just going to open it up over the next couple of days and maybe not even realize that new rule was there, uh, you know, or not realize it until she was ready to vote. And then it could have thrown her whole process off. I just thought it was interesting that, that, uh, you know, you're right about that. I mean, you know, the, 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 like last year, this category changed, for instance, where it was unlimited and then it was down to five. So, uh, the rules are constantly changing and shifting. And I do wonder if people are paying close attention now, focusing back on Ventura, uh, why don't you guys what, – what is it about Ventura that you guys seem to be uh, less bullish on him than me? I guess we'll start with uh, with Bix. Um, is Ventura even a guy that you consider at all or is he someone that you eliminate uh, essentially as soon as you open the ballot? I consider him. I just think that there are guys that go ahead of him. I mean I don't, I don't think he's completely unworthy, but – and, you know, I think Dave Meltzer has made a valid point, I think it was recently, that while Piper and other guys did do the heel color commentator bit before him, Jesse was the one that turned it into a, an act that every promotion had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he made that point uh, on the uh, Sim uh, Lamente uh, show, I think, last week or two weeks ago or something like that. But no, it was good. It was a good point. I, I Yeah. Right. And that's actually why I'm considering giving him my spot okay. because yeah, it, for that exact reason, uh, you know, he's the one that popularized it and made it a thing where everybody else tried to copy it. So from an influence standpoint, you know, I definitely think he checks that box. Now, what gets a little weird with these candidates is then, you know, like for instance, and I guess we could segue this into uh, Howard Finkel. Okay? You know what though? I have a question. I'm not sure. sure any of us will know the answer though. Ventura started doing color, I think it was late summer 84, right? 84 sounds about right, yeah. Because I think it was something like the way they explained it on TV was that Angelo Mosca Jr. was debuting, so Angelo Mosca wasn't going to do commentary anymore because he had to mentor his son. So when did Heenan start doing the B-show? Well, let's see. We could figure that out because when did Heenan – Heenan jumped ship in 84, at the end of 84, correct? Or the the well actually no no no, yeah, no, wait, uh, no, 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 no wait, yeah. no it was actually wait a second no no no, no. did when did Je- no because wait a second he didn't because the show Jesse started on was the B show was All Star Wrestling and then he didn't and it was I think Je- it was him and Jack Reynolds and it eventually became Gorilla and Heenan but I'm not sure if Jesse moved to the A show Championship Wrestling which is the show that became Superstars I'm not sure when that happened or if. He t- just took a break until it became superstars. Here's uh, – and obviously it's from Wikipedia, so I, I don't know exactly. But it says, uh, in 1986, he became the color commentator in addition to his managing duties. He replaced Jesse Ventura on Primetime Wrestling and All-American Wrestling aired on the USA Network, teaming with Gorilla Monsoon. He also replaced Ventura to team up with Monsoon on the syndicated All-Star Wrestling, which was replaced in the fall of 1986 with Wrestling Challenge. Okay, so it was so a year that and a half question, two years. Yeah, yeah. So we had – yeah, he had a little bit of a run there. So separate uh, of that. So, yeah. So I think I think inf- when it comes to the non-wrestlers, influence is something that's that that, that that's pretty easy that is easier to look at uh, than you know excelling in one's field. I mean, we all kind of have an idea. We may all have sort of our own opinions of what a great in-ring worker is, but we all kind of have an idea of what one is. But 
these guys all did something different. I mean, what what's a Hall of Fame level ring announcer? I mean, how do you quantify that? And then how do you quantify that in terms of of of, of how they drew money? Because drawing is the other component uh, that you're supposed to look at when you vote for the Hall of Fame. I mean, how, how do you really quantify how Howard Finkel's ring announcing uh, equated to drawing money? Or well, or doesn't how- the doesn't don't the rules as they are now kind of explain that if for if it's a non-wrestler, then it's excelling in one's field if drawing doesn't come into the equation. Sure, and actually for everyone on the ballot, it's if they excelled so much in one of the three criteria, then that's good enough in theory uh, sure. to get them in. So, um, but, but it's just always like last year, that's why I struggled so much with Gene Okerlund because um, while I do think he was great in his role, excellent in his role, I couldn't really – quantify what that meant in terms of uh drawing money or 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 how much better but then you know over the last year as i've thought about it there's no one as good at, at, at what he did as, as okerlin and i thought it and, was, and that's i thought it was uh, silly that i was even debating it i mean okerlin i mean his awa work and his early wwf work in particular no one has touched that ever in my opinion and well, but, i do think he had a large hand in drawing money because of it yeah, I don't disagree. I think the only thing that's a little tricky with Okerlund is that it, he, except for part of the time in the AWA, he was the first guy and really the most prominent that was just an interviewer. That in most places, it was the play by play guy. And I would almost hesitate to say Okerlund was the best because you have someone like Lance Russell, who I, as good as Okerlund was at his job, I think. Lance Russell's still the most effective in getting over an angle. And that was in basically the same role as what Oakland had as the interviewer, not just on commentary. Yeah, and that's and that's uh, an argument that's a little bit interesting with, with the non-wrestler and sort of it, – it's a little bit different than what you guys are sort of talking about is – and I guess it, it, circling back sort of to Jesse, we can sort of talk about that is with this category – I wonder how do you guys approach this in the sense that do you look at a guy and what his role was and if he was one of the best? Let's not say – he doesn't necessarily have to be the best at his role or whatever like adventure as a heel announcer or you know Finkel as a ring announcer. If he's the best at his particular job, is that enough for you to sort of – because that's kind of a sports – a lot of times with the Sports Hall of Fame where it's like, okay, you know – amongst all players, he wasn't the best player, but he was the best second baseman for this 20-year run or whatever, something like that. Do you guys sort of look at that when you, when you do the voting for this, or do you kind of look at him in the overall scope? Because I kind of differ. I can waver a little bit, whereas, hey, you know, Jesse is the best, one of the best, you know, heel announcers ever. How do I take that into account versus, you know, his overall role? How, how do you guys sort of handle that? For Finkel, I do to a degree because you're using – because I feel like because it was – the first class, you kind of have to use Jimmy Lennon as a, not a slippery slope, but sort of a baseline. Sure. And if you're saying that Finkel is the greatest wrestling ring announcer of all time and Jimmy Lennon's already in, and, you know, maybe Jimmy Lennon is the greatest sports, you know, combat sports ring announcer overall of all time. But I, w- I, w- I, I, I voted for Finkel last year, and I probably will again mm-hmm. this year. And that's, that's part of it. I don't like to use the whole slippery slope type argument usually but i think being the best at that and he added to the presentation a lot you know if he didn't would cm punk have dragged him out to call him a new you know champion at the garden two years ago so i i certainly think it matters and i think you know it's if but right it's how much is the best like if you are the very best i think that's a little different from one of the best though 
Right. Then it, then it gets weird. Whereas, yeah, you mentioned Finkel. You could make the argument that he's the second best or whatever uh, of that sense. Where some of these guys are the best or, or at least what you would think of as the best in here. So it's, it's a very interesting. Joe, how do you sort of tackle that? Do you, do you weigh heavily on what they did in the role and excelling at that particular role? Do you look at excelling sort of in the overall scope? I think it depends on what their job was because, again, in this category of so many different – like, it, it, in other words, if you were the best promoter of all time, you obviously belong in the Hall of Fame. If you were the best booker, you, I think you belong in the Hall of Fame. I am not so sure the best ring announcer belongs in the Hall of Fame because I kind of compare that to a punter or a long snapper. I don't think the best long snapper belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I don't think the best uh, special teams player belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and neither do the voters because Steve Tasker still hasn't gotten in. And his, his claim to fame is that he was, you know, in the eyes of experts, the greatest special teams player in the history of Pro, and he, and he doesn't get into the Hall of Fame. We just now saw Ray Guy. Uh, get into the NFL, uh, you know, the Pro Football Hall of Fame as, you know, the, the best punter of all time. Uh, it took him years and years and years. I kind of compare the ring announcer to to the punter. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I don't – it's not that I'm completely writing off Howard Finkel or Lennon Jr. or anybody like but I struggle with that. And that's why I struggled with Gene Okerlund until I decided that his role was a Hall of Fame-worthy role. And uh, I do believe that he drew a ton of money. Uh, so that's why I'll be voting for him this year, even when you consider uh, the tail end of his career with the sleazy 900 number. You know, come <laughs> on, I mean, that stuff drew money. I mean, you know, yeah. you say what you want about it, but those sleazy come ons, uh, you know, also drew money. So um, it, to me, it depends on the role. I would. Right, let's. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just I would agree with that. And also to the extent that I think being the best at something that was in something of a money draw, not a, necessarily a money drawing role. But something that influenced it more directly, like an announce, like a interviewer, play-by-play sure. color, is a little different from the ring announcer, where it's part of the presentation, but it's not really a thing that's selling you on it or something that's being sold. Are there any I, I, now? There's no yeah. there's no referees in the Hall of Fame, correct? No, but I, I'm not. I I. I think I might have advocated with Brent Ballot, someone like maybe Red Shoes Dugan last year. Um, and I think some other people might have too. Like, it wouldn't... Someone like... Uh, why am I forgetting his name all of a sudden? Uh, Joe Higuchi. Joe, Joe Higuchi, Higuchi yeah, Red Shoes Dugan, Tommy Young, I would I would yeah. say have pretty solid cases to go in the Hall of Fame as non-wrestlers. And again, they would... They would those are candidates again that would drive me nuts because I'd be, you know, trying to figure out what, you know, how to quantify that in, 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 you know, against, you know, what a booker does. I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know, I don't know how I would handle that, but I think it's something that's interesting. I, I don't know why none of them have ever been on the ballot or considered it's, we were talking off air about, you know, maybe guys to throw out there who, who maybe could be added to this. And I, you know, I just thought of that, you know, why no referees? All right, so, uh, to kind of go, we're going to go down the list here real quick, I think, to get a little bit of a um, sort of a format here. We'll, we'll start at the top of the list uh, as far as the, the way Dave sort of uh, laid it out this year. And we'll start, we can actually probably do this as a two-part. We'll jump a little bit. But uh, we start with Bill Apter, and then I guess we'll go Stanley Weston. We'll go kind of the, the journalism wing uh, of the Hall of Fame uh, candidates. And, and you actually want to talk about a little bit about that as well, Bix, because you've sort of – you and Dylan have sort of been discussing this uh, of possibly having a different section of the, of the Hall of Fame. Do you want to talk about that real quick before we get into Aptor and Weston? Yeah, I mean, I not as much this year, but I mean, last year we discussed it pretty heavily, and I think both of us advocated it to Dave when we, well, no, Dylan, Dylan, Dylan didn't have a ballot yet last year, 
But I think he emailed Dave a decent bit about it. And I know I advocated a little when I sent my ballot in that there are enough people that if you really wanted to do a separate journalist section from the non-wrestler section, I think it's something you could do because you've got the old fan bulletins, the newsletters, the magazines, and, you know, the magazines all over the world. I mean, it's, there's an, I mean, you've really got so many decades and enough people that are influential that I think you could do it. I think the most likely reason that, Dave doesn't is that he doesn't want to put himself on the ballot or put it. <laughs> I was going to say he's afraid of that because, yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard not to make it because when we get to these guys, we'll get like to to after and Weston where it's always this interesting thing of, you know, where do you because they seem like they stick out a lot in this. When you look at these other guys, you look at, at, at people on here and there's been there's been big arguments about these guys as well as specifically after as well. That comes up every single year. And, and he's a guy that if there was a wing on there. I think to your to your point, I think that it is super important because we talk about it all the time. We've talked about it off air. We we talk about it on every show. Any wrestling fan, you know, a big part of their wrestling fandom came from reading magazines. In, in the future, it's gonna be reading the internet, doing this sort of stuff. Where it's so important, I think, to people being wrestling fans. I really, I don't think I've ever met a wrestling fan that didn't say at one point. They read a magazine and that, you know, really helped them learn about this guy or do this or do that. You know what I'm saying? Where it's I feel like it's super important, but it's so hard to quantify him amongst these other guys. Yeah, I mean, but they did help build stars, though. No, I, I and I totally agree. So yeah, that, I think that that is quantifiable but here's, but, relative but, to the other guys, but, though. But did they? Because I kind of view, I kind of view the. Uh, let's stick to the after mags just because these are the two guys we're talking about. Yeah. If we're talking about after and Weston, um, I'm not going to vote for either. If I was going to vote for one or the other, it would be Weston over after, uh, because I just it's like the chicken or the egg theory. But I mean, there were no, ma- you know, the, the magazines don't exist without Weston. I, I'd have to vote for him over after, but I'm not voting for either one of them. And here's the thing: I kind of think that the after mags are very similar to Sting. In the because a lot of people of of the voting age grew up with the magazines, and I think we view them as a bigger deal than they may really have actually been. And uh, because you know we say that the magazines help build stars, and I'm sure that's true to some extent. But I mean, look at a guy like well, I'll, I'll go right back to Sting. I mean, Sting was one of those Bill After favorites who was constantly on the cover of the magazine, uh, along with you know if you go back a little bit before that, Mill Mascaris was always on the cover. Dusty Rhodes had a lot of covers. The Road Warriors had a lot of covers. Uh, Bill After took a liking to Sabu in the '90s, and he was always on the cover. But and Luger is another guy. But Sting is one of those guys who was always on the cover of those magazines and as we know uh that you know his stardom is more perception than reality so i think the magazines kind of fall you know in that sting category of of maybe they were we thought they were a bigger bigger deal than they actually were having said that another kind of chicken and the egg thing though guys were on the who were on the cover the most were on the cover the most because they sold magazines true yeah, they wouldn't have kept putting them on if right if they didn't sell if they didn't move issues. Right, and I mean you know as far as Weston versus After, I don't think I'm going to vote for either this year. Um, if I was voting for one, I would vote for Weston first. You know, kind of for the same mm-hmm. reasons you discussed. And I don't think this is this. I don't think it's really a secret anymore that Bill was not the guy really in charge of the creative direction of the magazines. 
I think Bill was just a really likable guy who uh, did a great job at what he was asked to do. And I, as I the think face it, of the magazines and all that. It, yeah, and he was yeah. ringside, exactly. he was taking photos. And you you saw him a lot. You knew who he was. Absolutely, yeah. and no one says a bad word about him. I mean, he, he he's he's a very likable guy, and, and and I think it's interesting that he finished in the top ten among wrestlers because, of course, he was the one putting them over. So of course they're going to vote for him. <laughs> and Weston finished top ten among historians because they're saying, "Now hold on a minute." Now, <laughs> after may have been the face. <laughs> the magazines but this was the guy who was who was behind it all so i thought that's interesting as well now also on top of all that really then someone like Stu sack should be on the ballot too absolutely why not because well because he also was the i mean I, am i thinking the right person it was it yeah, yeah you're right he's yeah. the one who was the really the main editorial guy throughout what people think of as the after era absolutely yeah, absolutely yep so, yeah, you know, yeah. So I completely agree. You know, after was sort of the face. But you're right. I mean, you know, there, there may have been people even within his own realm, within his own company uh, that may be more deserving of him. So I'm just staying out of that mess. I just think there's there's I can come up with with five more than five that I would vote for before either one of those guys. So I'm just I'm staying out of that muck. Well, and if we want to save this discussion for later or to have it now realistically the magazine editors from Japan and Mexico should go in first anyway, because it was more important there. I completely agree. Well, Mexico, yeah, Mexico would be a no brainer. Yeah. So like, no, I, I absolutely agree. I guess I was the only one. I mean, I asked Dave to put Valente Perez on the ballot last year, who was the editor of, of Lucha Libre. And he, I mean, he didn't obviously. So I guess I was the only one, but I, I would think in Mexico, that's a no brainer that to have like, sure, certain magazine guys would be a no brainer. Even if that means Ernesto Ocampo eventually getting on the Hall of Fame ballot. <laughs> All right. So we we kind of went over after and Weston there. I think we have sort of a, you know, without revealing our, our ballots 100%, I think we have a, a pretty fair idea um, in terms of both of those. And, and obviously we can get into a bigger discussion later if we want to. But uh, let's move on to Dave Brown here. He um, did not appear on the ballot in 2012. And then in 2013, he had 12%. As far as you guys, Dave Brown, what does he do for you? I didn't vote for him last year for some reason. I don't really know why, but absolutely voting for him this year. Uh, I think he's hurt in some people's eyes because of just the circumstances of everything. He was the sidekick to Lance Russell, but he really did was a tremendous announcer on his own. And then while he did a great job in the you know later years when Lance was in WCW and then retired and all that – he he was paired with much lesser announcers a lot of the time, like a Corey Macklin or a Michael St. John. So I think what it, that is what hurts him. The people don't necessarily think of him as being a great announcer on his own, even though he was. But he's such a big part of the culture. I mean, yeah. And, you know, in some ways, maybe even more than Lance, because he's, you know, he's the weatherman and he stuck around, you know, for so long. And, you know, that's not part of his wrestling candidacy, but still. Uh, so... I, I, but I think people can't see past the idea of him being the sidekick. And, and then again, they don't think of him as being that good later on because because of because of who he's paired off with. Yeah, I won't be voting for him. I think, uh, you know, if you're talking announcers, um, if I do vote for an announcer, like I said, it's going to be Ventura just because I think Ventura was uh, far more influential than a guy like Dave Brown. Uh, you know, I don't have anything against him, but, um, you know, I just uh, if I'm going to throw something towards the announcer, it's going to be Ventura. Absolutely. Any more thoughts on Dave Brown before we move on? Um, I'm just curious if you what you think as far as what as just the sheer numbers of it. I mean, do you agree with my theory on that or what? Yeah, I mean, I I think 
you actually made the point I was going to make. I think being, you know, in the shadow of Lance Russell is what hurts him. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually think there's a good chance he falls off because I think that he got 12% last year. And I think that that number might scare off some of the people who did vote for him because they figure, ah, you know what? This guy's never getting in, so I'm not going to bother. So I can, he's someone who I can see falling below 10%. All right, so we'll move on to the Crockett's here. We have uh, Jim Crockett Jr., who in 2012 got 25%, and then 2013, 26 so not much movement there. Jim Crockett Sr. Uh, was not on the ballot in 2012, but then received 44% of the vote uh, last year. So thoughts on those guys? Joe, I'll start with you. My problem with the Crockett's and the reason that I'm not going to vote for either one of them again is because uh, I didn't do my homework again this year. I don't know where to draw the line between the two and where one's uh, – power stopped and the other began where once influence stopped and the other began i i don't oh, I know can, how to i can't it, it, separate these guys well it's really it, it's really when senior died so i think that's about 73 and then john ringley who was the son-in-law took over for wasn't long it was maybe a year or less and then jim jr took over when john ringley mm-hmm. uh was caught cheating on uh was it if, was francis the daughter that that i think that's it Fran, francis right the, that ran the baseball team and stuff, and that that was married to John Ringley. I know then, who you're talking about, but I don't remember the name. Yeah, yeah, and then and yeah, then I think Jim so. I, I'm almost positive. And then Jim yeah. Jr. took over, and the question with Jim Jr. is always how much of the success was him, how much was his, his bookers, et cetera. But then also, how much credit does he get for delegating and all that? Right. And can you really kill him for losing the war? I mean, at least he had the guts to fight it. Um, I mean, yeah, you, you had two choices, really, as history has shown. You either could have fought it or just died slowly. And, uh, you know, he chose to fight. Um, but and they were incredibly know, successful for the beginning of the war. Yes. Certainly. Absolutely. That, that's the tricky thing about him. But at the end of the day, he lost. So how do you measure that? I mean, <laughs> it is. No, yeah, no, that... But no one else really chose to fight. Or if they did, they got out real quick when they realized, yeah. you know, so it's it's and they all just died slowly. At least he went out guns blazing. You could look at it from that perspective. Yeah. And well, you know what? And now I wish cause, and some of these guys went in without a vote. So it's like Bill Watts. Bill Watts was a promote was I mean he was a booker for longer and stuff but he was really he was a promoter for about eight years. How much of his candidacy as a wrestler and a promote? I mean I guess he's a Hall of Fame wrestler, but it's tricky. Like, but does Bill Watts go in if he's not booking genius? Yes, that, who did that booking take him over the top? Yeah. yeah, so it's well, like, that's it's, the thing. Bill Watts is certainly I I think he's a composite candidate who where where he could mm-hmm. he contributed in several different areas. I mean, he was a, obviously a considered a genius booker. He's a borderline uh, Hall of Fame uh, in ring performer, uh, wrestler, and 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 also as a promoter. Uh, you know, he did a lot of groundbreaking things in terms of the way he presented his television. So he's like a composite candidate. So I don't have a major problem with it. Maybe going in the first comparison tricky, though. It, it really does because you look at Jim Crockett Sr. and he clearly was running one of the most profitable territories uh, around for for basically his entire existence. Uh, but at the same time, he had the adva- you know he didn't have you know a war to fight like his like like Junior did. Mm-hmm. So it's it's again because the category is so loaded. Uh, you know, once again, I haven't done uh, my due diligence on either one of them because I'm just staying out of it. You know, it's you know much like the uh, magazine guys. I've got other people I'm focused on who I'm more concerned about voting for and getting in so i've just i've just kind of stayed away 
Would it be nuts if I thought that, or, or, or if somebody thought, I, I don't know if I necessarily do, because as said, I, I haven't done a ton of research on these two uh, specifically, but would you be nuts to think that Junior has a better resume than Senior, or, or, or is that just, you would obviously be Senior, because the voters clearly see Senior as the more important one, but then you look at Junior and you look at, you know, as, as Joe was talking about, the war and all that sort of stuff that, I mean, the guy did a lot of stuff with, with, with a relatively regional promotion. I don't think it's crazy. Uh, it's really how to me, you, he how sort you... of looks like a stronger I, I, on its face. Just looking right at it, he seems like the stronger one to me. The voters don't reflect that really. Well, he was the one who was the promoter when it became more from this kind of well-paying, nice place to live, small, uh, smaller mm-hmm. territory to this big powerhouse, this crown jewel of the NWA territory. Sure. Yeah. I mean, closed circuit, that sort of no, stuff. I mean, I mean, it, it was, a, yeah, it, 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 I mean, it was. You know, and it kind of almost well, – I mean St. Louis wasn't a territory, but it kind of replaced St. Louis as being the like showpiece of the NWA. Sure. And that was under Junior. And then Senior uh, – with Senior, I wonder how much of his case is, is that he was well-liked, if that makes any sense. Because sure, you no, have absolutely. a – I mean he was successful, but I also – I feel like we don't have a good read on how much of his fortune was wrestling and how much was his other promoting endeavors. I mean he did so many other things too that 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 people forget. You know, the guy had his hands in everything. I mean he was promoting <laughs> everything in that area. So. I don't know about the well-liked thing because I don't think anybody was more well-liked than Don Owen and Don Owen does significantly worse than he does. Right. Um, no, I mean but Senior was a guy who would be like come to the territory, move here, stay here as long as you like. You know, I mean, people had a job security in seniors Crockett promotions that they didn't have in a lot of places. Like, you know, J.J. Dillon was basically a rookie when he came in there as a prelim guy. And he spent pretty much the first three years of his career there because Crockett Sr., you know, what was that kind of guy. And he paid, you know, well for the size of the territory and all that. And I, I wonder if that's part if that's part of it. That it was this, you know, homesteader territory that ter- that people could just move into, uh, but yeah, it's I, but yeah, I want I want a better idea of how much of his fortune was from wrestling, because mm-hmm. I think it was on the on the Observer board. I don't know if it was it last year that Dave Meltzer said that based on the exchange rate that Jim Crockett Senior at his peak was ra- actually richer than Vince McMahon. What was it as his peak before the stock went public or something like that? I I don't remember the exact verbiage. He all, he also said that uh, you know just as a straight promoter, he made more money promoting wrestling than Don Owen did, and uh, and Don Owen somebody because someone had compared the two directly. So, but um, there was a comparison to Vince. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the exact word. Yeah, I don't remember. It's, it's, it's I have vague recollections of that, but. Uh, Let's see if I can. I'll, I'll see if I can find a way where we're kind of moving on to other sold, people he here. He seemed fairly well so, sold on Crockett Senior when he was posting in that thread. He, de- you know, Dave rarely gives out who he votes for, but you could always read between the lines, and I get the sense that he votes for him. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I get the sense that he does not vote for Sting, for instance. Uh, you know, you can really? kind of get a feel. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, hold on. You, you, hold you know on. that he voted for Tanahashi. He's always, he was calling him a shoe in before. You know, so you could kind of read between the lines. And Crockett's. Not only did he of, vote for Tanahashi, but Takahashi was his fault. That's right. And uh, but you kind of get the sense that, you know, through his, his post, that even though he's never said it directly, that he is a, a Crockett senior supporter. So, and he does not vote for Don Owen. You could tell uh, that as well because he always uh, 
he always uh, points out, uh, goes out of his way to point out the negatives about Owen. So you kind of read between the lines there too. Um, but I guess we can, why don't we segue into the other promoters just so we don't, so why don't we talk about Don Owen? Don Owen's a guy that I vote for. Bix, where do you stand on him? Voted for him last year. Not sure if I will this year. Yes. Uh, just because I, I mean, just, well, I, I, I'd have to check exactly again who I voted for last year. I mean, yeah, I voted for Matsunaga who went in. I know I voted for Jimmy Hart. I think I'm just drawing a blank all of a sudden because last year I was kind of treating it almost like a pick your favorites category because it, it, it didn't seem like anyone would re- go in besides maybe Matsunaga and because like he was the one who I was like, OK, I know I can vote for him on merit. He absolutely deserves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that was such a gimme. And then the rest, I don't, I don't know. It's like how much of it, you know, paid well, but is that something you, you know, well, paid honestly, I guess is the better way to put it. But is that something you weigh in his candidacy? But he was a very smart businessman, too. You know, a tremendous his own building. Right. He bought his own building and he ran a really small crew at all times to maximize profits, but made it work. Um, there were there was there's a lot of things to like. He stayed in his lane and he stayed in business forever. I mean, he pretty much outlasted everybody. And uh, there were brief periods uh, where where other promoters challenged him and, and beat him, you know, for small periods of time. But he outlasted all those all those guys as well. And, uh, you know, he stuck around nationally until what, 89? I think is when he finally uh, uh, no he closed in 91 91 so he lasted into the 90s which I mean you know other than the various Memphis incarnations that 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 went on longer than that um, which you could argue whether those were one continuous office the entire time uh, he basically outlasted everybody and look he wasn't the and he most had a sponsor too all those things. I mean, a tremendous businessman. He did. He made tremendously smart business decisions. Look, he wasn't the the best wrestling promoter in terms of of grossing the most money. But when you combine everything, the length of time that he lasted, uh, his his business acumen, the fact that nobody ever says a bad word about him, and he's a wrestling promoter. Think about that. I mean, he's, he's, he's <laughs> a rare. He's, he's and it's not like what? he wasn't a character either. I mean, he. You know, there were the sto- there were the stories. I think it was more when his brother died that came up like that he would keep the scrapbook of old newspaper articles about how the economy was going down and show it to the wrestlers but it's not like he ever changed their payoffs or anything he would just try to plant the seed in their head Right, right, and 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 I mean, it's just to me when you combine all of those things, like he's kind of the guy. He doesn't have the one standout tool, but he. But when you combine his entire resume, to me, you know what? I think there should be a place in the Hall of Fame for a guy like that who stayed in his lane, stayed in business forever, was very successful, didn't try to outkick his coverage. Everybody liked him. To me, you know what? That's why I throw a vote to him every year. I think there's a place for somebody like that in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Right. And I remember some of the Dave Meltzer argument against him was that he was not, you know, as far as promoting towns, though, he wasn't even the best guy in his own territory because Dutch Savage's towns uh, drew, drew better than Portland did. Right. And it's like I alluded to, though, those were sort of flash in the pans. So he outlasted those guys, too, whenever the renegade. No, no, no. I'm talking up. about people, his his own promoter, his own town promoters oh, oh right promoter i see what you're saying right, as right, right. Okay. you know with, within as the promoter for seattle from that office and uh, and his and that was also with pbs with the tv on a pbs station in seattle so they had to be careful with how they did the local promos 
Right, right, right. Yeah, I see what you mean now. So, I mean, it's a little, but he, you know what, though? He found his own building. He did well drawing to that building. So you can see why he didn't necessarily try harder because he had such a good uh, racket going, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and isn't there something to be said for that? Yeah. I mean, not taking unnecessary risks and and just uh, doing what works for you know, literally seven decades or whatever it was all told six, seven decades. So, I mean, I don't know to me, to me that that's good enough for me. All right. So move on here to talk about a few managers uh, that come up. Well, we'll start with Gary Hart. Wait, hold uh, on. Hold on. I think we forgot oh. Jerry Jarrett. Yes. Oh, right. There is another. Yep. Sorry. Sorry. He, there he is. He's a yes for me. And I voted for him last year and I'll be voting for him again. Easy yes for me too. I mean, uh, you know, the reasons are obvious. I mean, that was, uh, you know, when you're talking about, but here, just because maybe, you know, to cause some dissension on this podcast, uh, let's play devil's advocate a little bit. Um, you know, sort of how much credit does he really deserve from? I mean, there was sort of the, the rotating roles in Memphis and a lot of a lot of sort of, you know, bit, I'll say this. He does have a reputation for being one of the cagiest businessmen in the history of wrestling. You know, there's that old thing that, you know, a, a Jarrett never makes a deal that they're on the wrong end of. And uh, but but there were various periods of time where, uh, you know, he wasn't the booker. He wasn't even the promote. You know, they, they, there was a lot of shift in power uh, going on in Memphis uh, through the years. Should I summarize this for those who aren't aware? Was that? Yeah, why not? Yeah. OK, so it was Nick Goulis and the Welches who promoted the area for, you know, decades and decades and decades. And they they had hands into other parts that Jarrett never really broke into, like Alabama and all that. But it was Nick Goulis, really, that ran Tennessee and the related areas. And Christine Jarrett, Jerry's mother, worked in the office. And eventually Jarrett, Jerry broke in. Became the became the booker quickly set up Louisville as his own town he was promoting because Goulas wasn't and it, I believe Dick the Bruiser had rights to it but didn't but didn't but wasn't running it so eventually he opened up Louisville heated it up very quickly after several years they have a split because of Nick wanting to push his son George who was not very talented to say the least <laughs> and. Jerry got the TV deal, got Lance Russell, got Jerry Lawler, runs the company for pretty much the next 20 years, you know, lasts longer than just about every other territory. But he was the, but he was the booker for, you know, a big glory period, you know, pretty much, pretty much Jerry Lawler's entire run in the business though in Memphis was under Jerry Jared as the booker. And, you know, Nick, Nick Goulas, you know, he was the promoter, but I don't know. I don't. I, I honestly don't know that much about his promotional acumen, Goulas's, other than that he paid worse than anyone. <laughs> well, I you mean, know, Jarrett. Jarrett doesn't even doesn't exactly have a reputation as being a tremendous payoff man either. No, but Jarrett, Jarrett has a reputation as a genius booker. I mean, except for the people who really don't like Tennessee wrestling, he's considered a genius booker. I don't think anybody rips the booking in Memphis. I don't think you know. You know, I'm, there are people who are not i mean you know gary hart was not a fan of tennessee wrestling if you've ever read his book uh larry mattis because it's not a fan of tennessee wrestling uh well are they not fans of the style or are they not fans of the booking those are sort of uh two different both. things you know well, it's, well, the, it's... But the booking they didn't like the comedy integration and all that well not that not necessarily gary hart more more more, more larry for that see, i would say I've got, see i've got a ton of respect for the booking 
you know, the booking was they tried different things. They were they were willing to take risks with the booking. It was it was uh, very forward thinking. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of the wrestling style uh, that was employed there, but the booking I find it hard to believe. I, that's crazy. I mean, you know that that was that was tremendous booking and innovative booking, and and and, and they were doing things that uh, were ahead was ahead of its time. So that that surprises me that there's dissenters when it comes to the booking. Do we have to factor in a little bit? Because I know you guys haven't mentioned this. As far as the, the early failure of TNA with, with him as sort of the chairman of that, as you know, they had this idea of what they were going to do with this promotion. It was a miserable failure from the beginning. Mm, it, I because he was only half of it. I mean, but. <laughs> I, to me, look, that's an interesting turned out to be. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an interesting point. I would have never thought of that. I'm glad you brought it up, but I really don't care. He's the chairman. I mean, I, of... I don't care. I mean, look, I kind of compare that to, um, you know, am I going to hold, uh, a, a, am I going to hold it against a wrestler? Am I going to hold it against Kenta Kabashi because he was awful when he came back from cancer? I mean, I, I'm not going to. That's probably a bad comparison because he's still, you know. He instantly was the biggest draw in Japan the second he came back. <laughs> but uh, you, you know what I mean. I'm not going to hold it against a wrestler who is bad. Uh, you know, and he was uh, a book, at and the he end. wasn't the Booker. Yeah, it, was, booker. It, it was his business idea. I mean, but right. it's like I, how much of it was his idea? I mean, I know he did the book. <laughs> the book. I, I always thought it was weird that even though it's about how Tien, the idea coming crashing down. That the book, that that first book was whatever it's called, NWA TNA, a new idea in pay per view entertainment or whatever it was called. Right. That it's very, it's the title is very positive on the idea. Yeah, I don't know. It's like I said, I, it's it means very very little to me, almost to the point that it means nothing. And he was smart enough to get the hell out really quick. So, um, and he probably ended up making money off the whole thing anyway. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. there, I mean, so I mean, can, sure. can you really hold that? I mean, at the end of the day, he might be the only person who made money off TNA. I, I don't know that for a fact, but he might end up being the only person who makes money off of TNA. And, he, the, he had, and he had pretty much gotten out of wrestling before that, too. It was, you know, it was the well, remember, he tried to buy WCW and in one right, of the mysteries right. of all the WCW sales stuff. He had put together investors, had a very good faith offer put together, and just no one would talk to him, which is I, – I believe it's that that is the main thing that feels like if you hear, ever hear the Kevin Sullivan conspiracy theories about it. Mm -hmm. yep. I think that's one of the main things about behind it. It is. Yeah. He, he, he is very big on that of, of – yeah, that they had given them a pretty decent offer, and it was just like, mm, you know, just it, just crickets. They didn't. And this is also months before they lost the TV, too. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. This is this was still. I, this is pre. I thought that was that was pre Bischoff in the Fusion Media, correct? Oh, it's absolutely pre. It was. Yeah, it's way way ahead. He, of that. I think yeah. he maybe made another. Uh, it was like late night. It wasn't. It wasn't ninety nine, no, but it was, it was pretty two thousand. I think. It, but it was pretty mid to late two thousand. I thought. Wait, I mean, obviously the Fusion thing was God. That was. Beginning of 2001. You know, exactly. Yeah. So, so it was, it was you know, way earlier than that. Yeah. It's very, very interesting thing. I just thought I would throw it out there. It's, I, it's I think, definitely something worth throwing out there, but it's kind of I like, mean, some guys seem you, like failures are a big deal and, and others not. It, it, it's interesting. But yeah, this one. Such a, here's the thing. I mean, it's kind of like, would you hold the, you know, Hulk Hogan's Australia tour against him because that didn't draw as well as they thought? I mean, nobody cares. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's the same thing here. I mean, Memphis is 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 the crux is what's going to is where the rubber meets the road here. So yeah. I don't put a ton of stock into it. No.
And look at what he did. Look at it. He went to one of Bill Watts' shows, summed up exactly what was wrong with the territory, set up a deal that popped the territory and set, a, set him up good yep. for a year and a half. Yeah, to me, I, he's someone I'm going to keep voting for. I mean, he um, he gets the rest or got or gets whatever you want to put the wrestling business like few other people ever have. And for someone with a rep as, as not being a great payoff, man, he did finish sixth among former wrestlers last year. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, because <laughs> that's, that's yeah, if he was still synonymous with that and yet they still sort of respect him, that, that that's got to go with something. That, that's to not, say only, something. So, not all wrestlers, former wrestlers, the guys who worked for him. Is that exactly right? So, all right, so we'll move on to uh, managers here. We've done all the promoters there. We'll do uh, Gary Hart. We'll start with uh, 2012. He had 44%. Uh, fell 10% last year with uh, 34%. Uh, Bix, we'll start with you. Thoughts on Gary Hart? I really like Gary Hart as a candidate. I actually just closed my ballot from last year, and I'm forgetting if I voted for him in the end <laughs> or not. Uh, I think I know there are some people, and I know Jonathan Snowden's one of them, that feel like his book, uh, kind of lionize people too much with his candidacy, that it's a bit too, that people take it too seriously for something that's self-serving in the end, and mm-hmm. there's definitely merit to that. But I think, I think people were starting to re-examine him like a little bit before his death, then, then more after his death, and then the book came out, you know, posthumously. So I don't think it's all that, but you know, there is stuff that is legit that's in the book that people didn't really know before the book, like. It was a complete surprise to me that he was involved with the booking and Crockett leading up to the first Starcade. But that is something that's true, you know, and that's a pretty, pretty big feather in his cap. I think people always gave the credit to Dory Funk Jr., who was because the way they did it was that they it was that Dory was in charge of the whole territory. But then they also had a booker for each state. And Gary Hart was the booker in North Carolina. And it was, I think, Wahoo McDaniel and Ernie Ladd had some, you know, one or the other had South, South Carolina and Virginia. And, okay, look, I didn't vote for him last year. Last year, just for the record, I had Howard Finkel, Jimmy Hart, Jerry Jarrett, Takeshi Matsunaka, and Don Owen. Um, I, yeah, it's kind of how much do you value, you know, it's a because it's a hybrid thing, too. How much do you, how much do you value his booking and how much do you value him as a performer? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he, he's... And his book, by the way, uh, in case anybody's curious, the hardcover is going for a mere $650 right now on Amazon because... That's, that's <laughs> it's, a lot it's... less than it's been lately. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. So that that's it's floating in the ether of of publishing. So there's yeah. If you want it, and if you want to read all these hot stories, it only costs you six hundred fifty dollars for the hardcovers. So there you go. Yeah, he's a, in case anyone's interested by your conversation about it. So. He's another composite guy. I mean, I don't think he's a Hall of Fame manager at all. Um, yeah, he was all right as a manager. I, I don't see him as a Hall of Fame performer. But when you when you factor in, I mean, we haven't even talked about world class yet. I mean, but the thing about that is a lot of people see, you know, have this idea that, you know, he booked world class through that entire hot era. That's not true. He was gone by December 82, I believe. Well, no, he mm-hmm. never I don't think he ever claim made any claims to that though. No, I don't think he no, but I think people have that idea because you hear people uh, talk about Gary Hart and they talk about, oh well, you know, he's you know, he's responsible for that world class. Well, you know what? Well, he's responsible for the build up to it. And you know, but he was gone before nineteen eighty three. He um, quit he quit like the end of the of he quit pretty much like the beginning of the new year. He, I th- didn't he describe it as he was upset about his payoff for the big show at the end of eighty two. Well it was yes. the whole I think it was the whole week though following the christmas show right so he he was because they did gigantic business like before the tv even aired they did gigantic business the following week off the word of mouth 
Right. So he wasn't happy about his payoffs and he was gone. But that doesn't mean that he shouldn't get any credit. I mean, he obviously gets a ton of credit for what happened down there. But but a lot of people seem to think he was there for the whole run. And that just simply isn't the case. I mean, that's just something over the years that 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 became one of those things that just, you know, it just it just wasn't true. So right, though, he was a guy who booked kind of booked his own angles when he came back in, though. Yeah, yeah, he did come back. Now, what, now, what year, when did he come back? 80s? You know, he came back in 84. 84. You know, and he mm-hmm. had his own stuff that he would book some of, like, and I believe him when he says that in the book because, you know, you, you can tell, you could sort of tell what, what had his fingerprints on it, you know, when it came to, like, you know, the Chris Adams heel turn and all that, which he and was he, involved in. And he came back to the area again years later after it was pretty much too late to revive and was part of some of those. Right. Uh, he wasn't the booker. Well, he wasn't the booker of record again until 87, which was the nadir of the promotion. And then, then, you know, he had other runs. You know, he didn't book global. He was a consultant. He had his own promotion briefly. Oh, and he, before that, he also had Texas Wrestling Federation, which was kind of a rival to Jarrett when Jarrett was running Dallas. And he at least in his book claimed that he did the better numbers locally on TV. I have no idea if that's true. Yeah, you got to be a little skeptical of that. Uh, who knows? But what year was that? That was like ninety ninety one. Well, it's possible then. I mean, you know, I, I, it's it's not like anything was red hot down there at that time. Um, but yeah, you know, who knows though? But uh, right. but yeah, I don't I don't see him even as I don't think his uh, managing adds enough to the portfolio as as, as far as a, a performer goes. Look, he was okay. He was a good promo, and he was okay. But I I don't see him at a Hall of Fame level there. So he's just someone who I I uh, typically don't uh, don't vote for. And I guess I I guess I would say that he's how much would you factor in as Australia run? Cause he, he was the, you know, the lead heel manager there for a while, but I don't think it was necessarily long enough that you can really make it that big a part of his candidacy. I don't know nearly enough about it to even comment anything, uh, on it. So I, I, obviously I, I consider none of it. Okay. All right. So we'll move on to another heart. We have Jimmy Hart here who, uh, did not appear on the ballot in 2012. Uh, or and ever appeared... before that. Yes. Right. Swish. We'll get to that. Uh, 2013, he received 34%. Uh, Joe, we'll start with you. You've said he's a slam dunk, no doubter. I, Yeah, he's one of the ones that I look at. And Bix obviously interrupted me there of saying how he's never been on the ballot. I mean, I yeah, I, I don't get it. He To me, he's a slam dunk. I don't get it. I, it doesn't make any sense to me how you cannot vote for him unless you're completely ignorant <laughs> to, the, to the Memphis uh, run, and you just know him from uh, WWF and moving forward from there. I mean, um, you, I you, think that's it. <laughs> I, that has to be it because I mean, you, you know, you you know, aside from the you know uh, nineteen loser leave town feuds that you know with Dundee, you know, Jimmy Hart was the. Uh, you know, primary, you know, heel to Jerry Lawler, you know, that that entire time. I mean, that that was Jerry Lawler's foil. You know, Jimmy Hart would have his monsters of the month. He would have his, you know, his other first family member. It was and, and people forget he carried the territory when Lawler was injured <laughs> and, you know, they didn't they didn't miss a beat. So I just I don't it, this one really bothered. This one bothers me. As much as the uh, Rock and Roll Express, except it bothers me more because he only got 34% of the vote. And just 
Why do you think no one noticed that he wasn't in? Do you think we just all assume? Do you think that first <laughs> class is just I, so I, we, we big? We talked about that. We, I mean, we talked we talk about it a little bit when I was on last time, but yeah, I don't remember because I think Joe and I have, have talked about that too, where everybody just kind of went, "Oh shit, Jimmy Hubbard!" Like, oh, I like people just assumed he was because you you list names off in that first class, and there's a lot of guys, and he seems to. I mean, like a like a guy like Ted DiBiase is on there and that stuff. And I'm not saying they're not, but you sort of read these list of guys, and you just sort of assume when you read a few of these guys that oh, Jimmy Hart's probably in that crop, and then oh shit, he's not. Like it it. it it's it really does bother. I guess it's just the class is so big that it just never clicked. And maybe, maybe the court, maybe Cornette going in in the first class kind of threw people off too, because you know Cornette was his protege, you know, sort of on camera and maybe off camera a little bit too. And that the idea that Cornette would go in the first class and Hart would, that people just didn't even process it. And then would wait another ten years before, like almost nearly ten years before. Well, forget all years. Hold on a second, though. Yeah. Forget all that. Why aren't they voting for him now? Yeah, I don't he's, get he's it. He's there yeah, now, so you, you know I don't care about 2006 when he wasn't there. How can you not vote? How can you look at his name there and, and not vote for him now? It doesn't make any sense to me. Thirty four percent. What are you people thinking? What are you thinking? Thirty four percent. I'm a little. I guess he never really. I guess because he didn't cut really cut promos that much in the WWF. Like, even if it was a different character, I guess that works against him with people who aren't familiar with Memphis. That. He was not given the promo. He really was. He really even given as much promo time as someone like Slick was. Uh, an equal. I mean, the, the really, yeah, probably, probably about the same as a Slick. Yeah, where they would do those little pre-tapes before, Less... and he would, all right, buddy, yeah, you did, buddy, you're going down, and then the, the big guy would scream or whatever. So yeah, it, it wasn't much. It was probably not more than Slick. Less than a Heenan, because a lot of times, certainly yeah. Heenan was cutting the promos for his guys, whereas Jimmy Hart was setting up the promos for his guys in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they were letting people like Greg Valentine talk, which didn't make any sense to me. They should have <laughs> let Jimmy Hart talk. But I mean, you know, so no, but and, and you're right. He was playing sort of a different kind of character in the WWF. But see, I thought he did a great job in the WWF as well. I thought, you know, the stuff he did in WWF and also the stuff that he's done behind the scenes in terms of producing entrance music and things like that, all that stuff to me is just icing on the cake. See, uh, I wasn't—I didn't even think about about that, but that's a very legitimate point in his favor, yeah. especially I since I don't it. think a couple people, maybe on the Observer Board, talked about the idea of putting Jim Johnson on the ballot. I'm I'm very much. I think I would vote, and I would probably vote for. I would him. Absolutely vote for him. Absolutely, I think that's a huge part of a lot of guys. So I think that I think if you throw that on top of Memphis, I mean, it's even more of a gimme that he he should be in. Mm-hmm. I'll, yeah, I, I, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I, I get angry about it. it because I get angry that he doesn't even come. Me too. Close. It's it's <laughs> ridiculous. Thirty four percent. What are they thinking? And even a little bit to your guys' point as well. I mean, I get if maybe you didn't think that WF one was great, but it was it was almost a nearly ten year run of him not being a, a, what I would consider you know the, the best manager in the company or whatever, but being a constant part of that product in, in, in numerous ways. So that if you are a guy that just knows WCW and just knows WWF. He almost still seems like a guy you would almost kind of vote for. And then you add in the fact that he was just a legend. And it's like it, it, the problem, it boggles the, the mind. The problem yeah. is he was never the top manager. In sure. No, I get Heenan. it. Heenan was always the top guy. So and I and it, the only explanation is that fair. I mean, you well, know, what? The, you know what I'm saying? It's like, not yeah. fair. But that's the only the only <laughs> explanation for me is that a lot of the voters are only picking up Jimmy Hart starting in 1985 or whatever it was when he came well, out. And there's the, part of that. Even too, <laughs> Do you think people are very soured by how he was in WCW? 
see, they might be, but again, it's the same thing I said about Jarrett, uh, and the same thing applies here. I don't care about the tail end of people's careers when they're petering off. None of that. That kind of stuff doesn't matter to me because I care more about when they were successful. I mean, right, I, especially if you have 25 years of success and then, you know, and I don't know how many you and, would count in WCW. Well, and he was, he was a good a booker in WCW. <laughs> sure, certainly. When he would book WCW Saturday night, there were, oh, I'm trying to remember who it was that said something like J- Jimmy Hart was the best booker that WCW now. Right, because he was doing the B show. Yeah. Right, and and that no one was paying attention to. Um, yeah, it's it's just total nonsense. And you know, you could be right. I mean, the babyface manager role obviously is a death role. And uh, you know, there there could be some voters that fo- that are focusing on that. Who who knows? It doesn't make any sense. Who knows? All right, I think we lost Bix here real quick. Let's try to get him back on. There he is, I think. Hello. Yes. There you are. Okay. Wait, okay. Where was I? Okay. But he, he traveled to a different world. Uh, you were talking about WCW Saturday Night, Jimmy Hart, but I think we I think we got your point. I don't know if you had any more the, to you know, say about the, that. But that was by far the best those B shows ever were, and that there were people who thought he should have been booking the whole company. Yeah, it was probably his, his unsuccessful ex-WF run that probably got everybody all... And again, these are all these are all and all of these things. See, none of these things are are. are Nobody remembers XWF, I guess. Yeah, was none, awful. Oh yeah, it was terrible. But <laughs> none of these things are Hall of Fame worthy on their own. But they're all nice cherries on top of of what went on, what went on in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I, I I totally agree. It, it it's it's mind boggling for me, especially and 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 the music thing. I thought that that you know Joe, you brought up and and, and Vix, you brought up a little bit later. I think that is a huge deal that i don't think people really give enough because i'd be totally as you said if jim johnson got on there absolutely i would put him in there and, and i think there's a lot to be said for for jimmy hart as well just as, as, as if you need a little bit more icing on the cake for him but i don't think you do i it's he we'll see what are your guys predictions i mean does he get hopefully enough people listen to this and realize how stupid they are but does he get on i mean 34 no, percent he's not, not like, getting in. he's not like two votes away he's, it's like a lot he's, I mean, not, he's not getting in this year I think I mean I mean I, who knows how many ballots are in yet, but this this may have just motivated me to to, to write something. At- Good, yeah, that's what I like. That's what I like to see. <laughs> All right, we'll move on to a guy, Bix, you voted for last year, and I think uh, you sort of mentioned a little bit about him for this year. Uh, it's Howard Finkel. Uh, 2012, he did not appear on the ballot, and in 2013, he got 30 percent. So, Bix, start with you. Uh, thoughts on Howard Finkel? I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier. That mm-hmm. it's he he. He is the best wrestling ring announcer of all time. It's a matter of how much do you think that means. Yeah. Uh, I he's is he enough of the was he enough of part of the presentation that it matters? Like I I don't think I'm voting for him necessarily this year. Uh, but I, I I think it's it's really just how much value do you put on that. Sure, and I and I could get the arguments either way. Uh, as as far as I go, I waver on him all the time. He's sort of one that I always, you know, not that I have a ballot, Dave, but um, he's one that I sort of look at. Um, and he's a guy that I, if I put on my, I'll, I'll put on a hypothetical list, but he's there to be sort of beaten by somebody else, if that makes sense. He's on there usually, but then if somebody else comes up or if somebody makes a compelling argument for someone else, he's usually the first to drop off because. I think there is an inherent value in having that ring announcer and having that presentation, but what is the value of that? I think we sort of talked about that a little bit before. Is it, you know, do guys become stars? Do they draw more, draw more money? Do fans go because of that? I mean, it, it's so hard to quantify what a ring announcer really means. I think it's an important part of the presentation, but I don't think 
anybody stopped watching because Lillian Garcia took over for him. You, you know what I mean? It, there's this weird or stop going to the arena because of that. But we still have fond memories of him. So I don't know where you kind of draw that line with him. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I pretty much said what I had to say before. He's a pun- yeah. He's a punter. And uh, I don't know if I want to put a punter in the football Hall of Fame, and I don't know if I want to put a ring announcer in the wrestling Hall of Fame. I mean, you know, uh, if Howard Finkel had a 45-yard average on his punts, I'm just as happy. <laughs> I'm just as happy with Justin Roberts and his 41-yard average. It doesn't make enough of a difference to me in terms of uh, putting him in a Hall of Fame. So it's a no for me. But Justin Roberts is so bad, though. <laughs> Whatever. Insert ring. <laughs> no, I know. Gary I, I Michael Capetta. How about that? You like Gary Michael Capetta? I know. I like Gary. Hey, you got to like a little guy. Around, but I, I, he's my guy, yeah. He's excellent. Nice little suits, too. He's always always well-dressed. Uh, Larry Matisic, <laughs> new entry to the ballot. Um, we sort of talked about him in our intro podcast. Joe, I'll let you begin. I think we covered him. Sell me on Larry Maddox. I can't. Sir. I can't because I'm not going to vote oh. for him. And I, we we kind of covered <laughs> well, him no on the that. intro. I don't. I don't. I don't see it. I just. I don't see it. Did I'll we cover him in the intro? We did. We, we, we gave him more attention in the intro than he's going to get from anywhere else, if you recall. I think we did. Oh, oh you mean the intro we, podcast. I think you meant the yes, intro the to this No, no, no. The, the last time we had a podcast, we covered him for about 15 minutes, and I am Larry Matisic out. I can't do yeah, it's it about anymore. 14 minutes longer than we probably should have. So. <laughs> yeah, so I, it's a no for me. Mm, well, uh, <laughs> no. Okay, Gorilla Monsoon, I think we'll uh, move on here. Gorilla Monsoon, uh, 2012, uh, received 37% of the vote and then fell in 2013, another one that fell 10%, uh, down to 27%. Vic's uh, thoughts on Gorilla Monsoon? Uh, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer as an announcer. I don't know if it's even a composite. I guess it's a composite thing, but I don't think his backstage role is a Hall of Fame type thing. And you know what this kind of goes in with what we were talking about with Larry Matizic last time I was on too, which is he, I'm sure he was an important part of the office, but is that something that really goes to a Hall of Fame candidacy? Mm-hmm. All right. The... He's a he's a composite candidate from the aspect of he was an announcer. He had his hand in ownership in a couple different territories, including uh, you know WWE, and then he also, of course, was a pro wrestler. And I don't yeah. think he was a Hall of Famer in any of those aspects. And uh, I don't think they even combine. Now, I will say this: I do think he wasn't nearly as bad of an announcer as people say that he was, or that his reputation was in that time and place. I think history uh, puts him in a slightly better light when you listen to that stuff. Now, now, the wrestlers hated him because he they felt the heels hated him anyway because they felt like he was always burying them because he wouldn't put over the near falls and whatnot. But I didn't think he was the, 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 the flat out awful announcer that people thought he I thought he was perfectly and cartoonish enough uh, for the era. I thought he fit well in that era and that time for that promotion. But all those things considered, all those things combined, I just don't see him as a Hall of Famer. Well, it's a little trickier than what you said, though, as far as burying them, because like I didn't realize this because I don't think Dave Meltzer ever really explained it until like maybe two, three years ago after writing writing about Monsoon fairly negatively for oh the better part of three <laughs> years. But it, it was not just that, you know, he should have hooked the leg that how are you going to pin a guy like that? You know, the head, you know, headlock, you know, he would never submit to a hold like that, et cetera, et cetera. It was stuff like in the WWF at that time, you were not supposed to hook the leg except on the finish. Yeah. 
So he all he was doing was getting himself over as smarter. He was not putting over the psychology of the. I mean, I guess it did put over the psychology in the match a little bit. If they but only not, got, yeah, but not in ways that your common viewer was gonna. Right. Yeah. I, and, I don't. And, I, go ahead. There's also that great story about when he had that newspaper column. Do you know? Do you guys know this one? Uh, refresh my memory. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, he had a newspaper column. I think it was the Philadelphia Inquirer. It was the secondary newspaper, though, whichever it was. And he had a wrestling column each week. One week, around 81, 1981, he, he writes about how he's very sad to write that superstar Billy Graham has passed away. As I'm oh, sure you're okay. aware, yeah. superstar <laughs> Billy Graham is still alive, barely. Right. But he... Uh, he refused to issue a correction because he couldn't be wrong. Right. Gorilla Monsoon right. can't be wrong. So then when superstar Billy Graham comes back, you know, in the throes of drug addiction, having shaved his head, grown, you know, not dyeing his hair and doing the Kung Fu gimmick, Philadelphia was the worst drawing town for his comeback by far because too many people thought it wasn't superstar Billy Graham, the real superstar Billy Graham. Right. They thought it was an imposter because he looked so much different that he was dead. So yeah, that's that's you can definitely see that one is a negative. I mean, he uh, killed a town. He negatively influenced, yeah. <laughs> oh, gorilla. Yeah, to me, I'm not. I I don't really feel strongly about him having to go in or anything like that. I I, I would probably not vote for him ever. If he had the same exact career in a different era, if he wasn't an announcer during you know the second most uh, profitable era in the company's history, would we even be talking about him as... Yeah, and a lot of voters' childhoods as well. Right. I mean, he's he's synonymous with childhood, so people look at that pretty heavily. But yeah, I don't think he ever really... I don't. Yeah, I, I really don't. And if he was working with anyone other than Heenan. True, yes. Yeah, the, the interplay between them two was so good that it's sort of... Because he uh, Monsoon with other people besides Heenan, uh, or Heenan and Jesse, is just... Off. Right, it Jesse was only on the paper. I'm sure they would have been good together if they worked together more often, but sure. it wasn't like it was with Heenan. No, no, no. The, the Heenan and Gorilla thing really puts him over the top, but yeah, him again with anybody else is just awful. I mean, it, some of those... <laughs> it probably comes I, down I to how wanna, much yeah. you value the Heenan and Gorilla pairing. Yeah, yeah well, I'll tell you what. I'm someone who doesn't hate Gorilla Monsoon's announcing and think, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't think of that as a negative mark on him like a lot of people do. And I still wouldn't vote for him. I just, I just don't see him at a Hall of Fame level. So does he fall off uh, in your guys' predictions? He'll fall off because he's a 15-50 guy and he only had 27 yeah, percent mean, last. Year. He's not going to get 50 percent. That would be insanity. That'd be, an enor- that'd be one of the biggest jumps of all time. He's not going to get yeah. that. I think Jesse could very well stay on or go in, but I'm not sure about Gorilla. Yeah. I agree. I'll uh, we'll move on here. I, I guess, you know, let's have we talked enough Jesse. I think we covered Jesse pretty extensively. Yeah. The only other Obviously. thing I wanted to say about Jesse and why I think he was so great is and, and why he was sort of uh, and why other people aren't as good in that heel announcer role is because Jesse would throw things in a lot of a lot of times the heel announcer is so over the top and is such a goofball and is, and is so, you know, and is always wrong. Jesse would throw things in that were accurate. And, he was and the most logical correct. <laughs> heel manager because, ever. And then what that would do he is, was the closest then, to impartial. Right. And then, sure. and then what but that would do heel. is he, would, he, he was essentially setting you up for his bullshit later by calling out Vince McMahon on his bullshit and being accurate 
with some things. So then when he said something that was utterly ridiculous later on, it actually had more impact to me than with some of these other heel announcers who were just utterly ridiculous 100% of the time. Yes, so I and, think that's what separated them. And there were baby faces that he liked. Right. Like the British Bulldogs. And, it, you know, it wasn't just an all out assault on the baby faces and, you know, all out ridiculousness in the heels favors. He kind of peppered in some things that gave him some credibility, which in effect gave his nonsense all the more impact. Like when, you know, if he would ignore blatant interference or try to claim that the interference was justified, that sort of stuff had more impact because, you know, the guy had some credibility leading up. Right. To the that. match before he was saying something that was right now, you know, how could he be so dumb now and not notice that? No, I, I always enjoyed that about his his aspect and, and it's different i mean nobody there hasn't been many i mean heenan sort of to an extent but nobody has really done it like that since then and it was it was it was revolutionary for sure and heenan didn't even really put over the baby faces nearly as much as ventura no he gave no, them some lip service but not not as much not nearly. there was a few yeah he would kind of give it up for yeah i know he's a great athlete and that sort of stuff but you know i hate the guy or whatever you yeah. know he would, he would always kind of qualify very quickly with that ah, yeah, he was a completely stupid, different yeah. style he was more about one-liners uh, yeah. and and interplay with uh monsoon and and setting him up to be the setting himself up to be the fall guy ventura never set himself up to be the fall guy he was you know just vince, vince's agitator now do you see his wcw run as a negative not at all I think it's no. a po I actually think it's a positive. I mean, yeah, towards the end he really was not that good and it wasn't, you know, it's a pretty short run too. I thought for the first year or so at least he did a tremendous job adjusting, especially for a guy who had been a few years off but from one completely different product to another. I thought he did a good job too. I, I enjoyed his WC. Look, it seemed like he didn't give a shit towards the tail end, but you know, again, it's like I've talked about a couple other times. I don't, I don't judge people by the tail end. I, I you know, and I, I, I certainly don't judge him by his non wrestling career of being, of slipping into absolute insanity either. So, <laughs> but he did a, he did a, even though, you know, him and Jim Ross hate each other or whatever. He did a great job adjusting to, you know, to being, you know, Jim Ross and then Tony Schiavone's partner. Yeah, and he sounded knowledgeable. When you when yeah. you look at those first ones, you when you realize, I mean, the guy, I guarantee you, didn't watch a second of WCW before he got that job. I mean, is, is there any chance that he was sitting there studying tape? Right, and there was that whole thing before he walked where in once there. he let, he started cracking up laughing because of something that um, Ross or Schiavone said about Pillman's NFL career because he just couldn't believe it was true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I don't hold I think he did a decent job. And I think it was easy for him to transition, though, because out of the WWF guys, he was sort of the most uh, suited for that style anyway, because, uh, you know, a lot of his stuff was, you know, just just straight commentary anyway. He was just very uh, charismatic in his presentation of it. Right, and Heenan, even when Heenan still was still motivated early on, he did not adjust nearly as well as Ventura did. No, he definitely, I completely agree with that. No, no, could never do that. Um, one, one, there was one uh, topic, I think it was on the Observer Board or something, when I, I, I was sort of talking about uh, Brock Lesnar and people brought up, um, I, I was talking about his sort of how we judge him, and then someone said, oh, do we have to, you know, well, Jesse Ventura became governor because he was a wrestler or whatever, and that I thought was the dumbest thing, and I hope nobody actually <laughs> takes that into account at all, is that the fact that he was a governor, because please, let's not. It doesn't add to his credentials to me. No, uh, yeah. You know, so. No, that, that was... Yeah, I, I really hope anybody that listens to this that, that wants it to please don't. Now, would it count if he were a Japanese candidate? 
I mean, there's a million of them who went on to. I, yeah, to that, me, that was actually a bad attempt at a joke. It, compared yeah, it to doesn't matter. Yeah, yes. <laughs> oh, that, you were running real deep on that one. That was uh, uh, <laughs> super deep. But, uh, yeah. No, yeah. So just wanted to make that qualifier there. If you're even going to think about saying that, please just. Actually, though, the guys who who have served in uh, in the uh, Japanese, uh, you know, equivalent of the uh, of Congress, how many of them aren't in the Hall of Fame? Well, we got Hase, yeah. Hase is in, Anoki's in, uh, Onita is in. Uh, was Sasuke in the Sasuke's in the not in the Hall of Fame? But uh, was he in the Japanese Diet or was he just like a mayor or something? I can't remember. No, he was in. I don't know if he was in the Diet. I think he was in the other house. Okay, but he was so, in. He was in. He was in their equivalent of Congress. Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting. Uh, maybe there was one more. It was like any of the other ones where they just where did they get elected or were they just candidates like Shinobu Kandori? I think they were just can can I think we named all the ones that got in. Okay. Uh, so So the only one that's not it's actually a very good sign of whether you're not here all of them. <laughs> Well, we'll find out this year because, as you mentioned, he is on the uh, the cusp of falling off, and and, and we've seen or what we'll, we'll maybe see is that um, he he would be a nice test subject. In well, how about this? You June... know, at wrestlers he finishes top ten among the wrestlers, and Monsoon yeah. doesn't. So, I mean, maybe there's something to that where they among feel... active it is, I believe wrestlers... it's active wrestlers though. Active, yeah, it's active. Well, because the case because the older wrestlers would be more inclined to depending on their age either be pro monsoon or anti monsoon there's probably not too many active wrestlers who had a match called by monsoon because he worked through well he would tech he technically worked through 98 99 doing the international shows but he was pretty much off tv as an announcer i think once they canceled challenge in 95 right yeah, so I mean, even if you want to count ninety nine, I mean, it's still gonna, not going to be a significant number of active wrestlers who would. And how many of them actually heard him call one of their matches? You know, when you're thinking. Yeah, I don't think that Christopher Daniels was was getting tapes of Canadian superstars. <laughs> yeah, so uh, definitely not. But uh, Ventura has, uh, you know, these active wrestlers. And again, he hasn't probably called. He's probably called even less matches among active because he was gone from WCW by what ninety. Before ninety four was he was he there when Hogan got he left right before Hogan got there right so he pretty much he? he's I think his last show was Hogan was Hogan's first match at Bish yeah because he was July I, I'm looking at July nineteen ninety four is when he was uh, released, I know he worked so. and that was his last show I'm pretty sure yeah so there you go he's probably called less matches of active wrestlers than Monsoon has so it's but all he's kinda... part of, but he's he's a less polarizing figure as a personality and he was mm-hmm. part of the same era of their childhood. Right. Exactly. All right. So we'll move on to uh, Gene Okerlund, who uh, in 2012 was not on the ballot. 2013 received 35% of the vote. Joe, where do you stand on Gene? As like I said earlier, I'm all in on him now. I was on the fence last year, but I've decided that that role can be a money drawing role. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't see it as 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 much of a like a punter style of role as the ring announcer anymore, like I did last year after thinking about it. And uh, to me, he was I, I I credit him as being the best ever in that role, based on his AWA and early WWF work. And I I do count 
the sleazy 900 number tactics. I do count that as drawing money. So because he literally drew money. Yeah, he literally, <laughs> he that, yeah, absolutely. So I mean, you know, even though he 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 wasn't as good in the in the interview, and listen, he wasn't bad in WCW. But you look at those AWA tapes, man. That guy was just he was just amazing. Uh, his interplay with the wrestlers and in the WWF as well. So uh, at this point, I, I I've gone from on the fence to seeing him as a no brainer. Uh, I'm pretty much where you are. Uh, I, I don't know why I was necessarily holding it against him that he was not the lead announcer. Um, I think I was a little, I don't know. I was a little off put by people saying that being the best or right, uh, the best inter, the best dedicated interviewer necessarily meant something because it was not really a thing before him, but it's not like he it was he it's not like he was the reason it became a thing either exactly um but i don't but i i'm pretty much sold on him now pretty much and rich, rich and rich you seem to think you've had this theory that he contributed to vince beating Vern once and for all in minneapolis i do yeah and that's, that's what not, i've always I don't kind think of brought up with him no is that yeah i don't know i is, is i don't that, think the, I, I think that's calling it a theory thing, is being yeah. is being I, is that's... being overly negative on it yeah, because that's the you know obviously if people aren't aware you know in 1984 he teamed with Hogan and this big you know they had a big training thing against Fuji and and, and George Steele in, in Minneapolis and it was you know from then on WWF drew well in Minneapolis and AWA you know continued to fall well, they so drew yeah well it's, their first show there which was I think one or two sure, years right. before that right because well, right, they right, they right. had lot because they took for a lot of top AWA names mm-hmm. they brought in AWA production people but right. You know, they had Oakland as an announcer, but yeah, and like that that first show was Hogan and David Schultz finishing a feud that they never got to finish in AWA because of Hogan leaving. Right. And, and uh, Hogan and, and Schultz leaving well, Schultz leaving at the same time. But and there's that famous uh AWA team photo from either the end of eighty three or the beginning of eighty four. I'm sure you guys know the picture I'm talking yes. about. And nearly every person in the picture <laughs> was in the WWF like two months later. Uh you know, half <laughs> half of them were there. And by a year later they were all there and they were all megastars. It was Andre, it was Hogan, it was Okerlin. Schultz was in the picture. Just Patera. Patera. I think Rick Martell may have been in that picture. I'm I'm not positive. Uh, yeah, there he is. Yeah, yes. there's Martell. And they were oh, wait, all what did you Google so I can look at it? right now oh yeah here one sec it is uh, if you look up awa 1983 it is the first image that comes okay. up it's, it's just an amazing picture. <laughs> it's great you got it totally yeah, heenan, Andre, yeah. uh, uh, heenan is in the picture it's just yeah he's in the corner there yeah it's just that famous picture of of poor Vern. <laughs> his entire roster is uh <laughs> it's yeah, yeah it's it's okay, just wait, crazy but, so yeah it's to see who you can get out of here and jerry okay jerry blackwell went to a taping then decided not to stay so let's see we've got uh, the guy in the top left, people are pretty sure, is Wally Carbo, right? I'm not looking at it. Hold on a second. Okay. The, so guy the, big the, dude with the, the guy in the hat. Yeah, big dude in the hat. Okay, so we've got Vern, Hogan. Can't tell who's next to Hogan. Brunzel, soon enough, maybe not quite as quickly as everyone else. Martel ended up, Martel stuck around because he got the title, but eventually uh, Andre Lanza, of course. Uh, Patera, Schultz. Uh... There's some guy you can't recognize. There back are a there, couple but... people you can't see. Is that Ken Resnick? Uh, Okerlund, Blackwell, who almost jumped. Heenan. Is that Billy Robinson next to Vern? I think so, yeah. I think, did Mr. Electricity Steve Regal even go there for a little while? 
he may have had some uh, prelim matches on house shows and whatnot. Yeah, I, I seem um, to remember most of the guys in this picture. <laughs> that's what I mean. It's just this, this <laughs> I mean, picture. It's just even we're even there by uh, like eighty-five. Yeah, even Vashon, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's there. Yeah. He went briefly. It didn't work out. Um, I mean, just about everyone in this uh, picture. 86, 86 Regal went to uh, uh, WF first. Okay. Quick little stop. So there you go. So, so it's it, it's crazy. <laughs> so. This team photo, and they were just, and not only did you know, and 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 and, and you know, when you're talking about Heenan and Okerlund and Andre and Hogan, I mean, these are guys that drove the butt. They didn't just go. I mean, they drove Vern out of business when they did. It's just, it's just, I just love that picture. It's well, just Andre to, be, I, Andre to be fair was working for Vince McMahon in the first place, but true, very true. But he's in the picture. Yeah. <laughs> that's the point here. Yeah. it's you know, he's this team photo. They all, I mean, it's a shorter list of guys who didn't go. I think there's like 20 guys in this picture. And and I mean, who who didn't leave? I mean, you're talking about not counting see. the Ganyas. Yeah, I, yeah, the Ganyas did. Yeah, so obviously <laughs> those two. I mean, who else are we talking about here? Zoom off. Although th- there were probably other reasons for that. Um, Saido, uh, among the people that we can see, um, Anon. It's pretty much just Saido and Anon and, <laughs> and Zoom off. Anon went. Not right. Not for a long time. I, yeah, you know what? We can't count him because he didn't go until the '90s. But uh, let's see. Who's the bald guy behind Okerlund? Uh, we can't see. Yeah, yeah. You, half his face is missing there. I don't. Would the superstar Graham timeline work out? I don't. Uh, he kind of looks like he him. He does, but... but I don't think he was there then. Ah, uh, neither do I. That's what I mean. So I don't know who that could possibly be. Uh, the bald dude. That's really the only guy I can't recognize. <laughs> so the bald guy. Is Who's burned, behind right? Hogan? Is that Adonis? Uh, you know what I think it is. So here's that's another one that we didn't even mention. Yes. So I mean, you it's, can't it's, really tell in this one. This one's not that good quality. I've seen better quality ones, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I remember seeing Adonis in it. Yeah. So, so there you go. <laughs> so speaking of Gino Flynn, no. So obviously, um, Vix, did you give what, what are your th- um in terms of vote for him? Yes, no. Uh, it didn't last. Do you not want to reveal that information yet? Okay. Alrighty, let's move on to I believe is the last guy we have not talked about yet. If I, I my list is correct, and that is a guy who is this his first time on the ballot? I believe George? so. Yes, it's George. Scott. Yep, and it is George Scott who uh, who uh, makes his debut here this year. Uh, big start with you. Thoughts on George Scott? Obviously, a very interesting uh, history and, and career, but is it enough to be a Hall of Famer? Two schools of thought of him as a Booker, which is either that he's you know one of the very best you know handful of Bookers ever. Or that he's a guy who was kind of very good at, like, organization and, and, like, detail and, like, kind of putting things in place, but really left things more to wrestlers who could book their own programs. And there's something to be said for that having value, but sure. if that's the case, is it necessarily a Hall of Fame case? Uh, you know, on paper, though, on paper, he's a pretty strong candidate as an on wrestler. He is very strong. Uh, you know. What can, what, he was the booker at the start of WWF expansion for, you know, for the first two years. And he was the booker who took Crockett from the, you know, little territory we talked about earlier to being the, the you know, number at worst, number three promotion in the country and biggest pay, best, you know, and num- top NWA territory, best paying NWA territory, et cetera. Uh, those two things alone, I think, speak pretty well of him as on on paper. You know, it's in practice how much of that was actually him. Um, like, I know when I when I wrote the article about the expansion for uh, the beginning of the expansion for Fighting Spirit earlier this year, I know I talked to Dave Meltzer about it a little. I'd have to go back and see 
if there's anything I'm forgetting, but like I asked him, like, why, why George Scott? You know, he had that track record, but what was it about him? And Dave said that a lot of it was that Crockett, you know, he booked Crockett for so many years. Crockett booked three shows a night, and Vince needed someone who could handle that many wrestlers and that many shows a night. Uh, and, you know, he was very good with keeping track of stuff and details and all that. And I don't know. I mean, a lot of that, you know, those first two years of the expansion, I'll, like past a certain point, I'd say like around the time where they really start uh, picking up new towns, like in the summer and when it starts to look more change, Because really, if you look at the beginning of 84, the first six months or so, it looks like WWF in 83. It really doesn't look different except for newer wrestlers. Uh so then, like, you know, I guess so when from, like, middle of 84 to when he left, which was, like, maybe middle of 86, it doesn't really look like Vince McMahon angles that much of the time, if you really mm-hmm. think about it. Uh, so, I mean, he did. He was the actual booker. Uh, I mean, well, I guess Vince McMahon. Vince, Vince had the final say, but he was a lot busier. Then I think it's, you know, sort of the whole mindset behind, well, Rus- was Russo ever really in charge? No. But he was, pro- but he probably had a lot more influence when Vince was dealing with the IPO and all that. So I think it's kind of a similar thing here. Uh, I, I haven't given it that much as much thought as I should because I kind of had kind of picked. I feel like I kind of picked my non wrestler candidates pretty quickly. But I'm not opposed to him at all. I just don't. I don't know. If I don't think I'll vote for him this year. But I, I don't think there's any way he gets less than ten percent though. When did he have his big beef and get fired? When when was he gone? He was gone. That was Saturday night's main event in, in the build up to Saturday night's main event, I believe. Correct? No, it was eighty six. It was sometime in eighty six. Saturday night's main event started uh, April eighty five. So did he make it to WrestleMania two? I think he made it just past WrestleMania two. So did did he book like the uh, the Morocco and um, Bundy angle on Saturday night's main event to set up the Mania two main event? Uh, and, and so, so you, so you could reasonably give him credit for WrestleMania one and WrestleMania, the booking leading into both of those shows. You think that's fair? Conceivably. I, I would say certainly one, two might be. Yeah. I don't, wasn't I don't he know. annoying people by then? I mean, didn't he not get he, along with Hogan? Wasn't that Hogan? Oh, well, that was the big thing. And I think it was Hogan and other people thought that he was, he favored his own guys too much. Not that I, I would think Hogan was pretty much bulletproof at that point, but you know, I know I think it was Hogan and some of the other guys. I think Bret Hart talked about it in his book a little, didn't he? That they thought he favored the Carolinas guys too much, like yeah. Steamboat and Valentine. I don't recall, honestly. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I haven't read that book in a number of years, but I, I that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's an interesting one, Joe. Uh, where, where do you sort of? It's the kind of deal where you know it, it. It's he was he was gone a little quicker than I initially thought. Once I researched it, I didn't realize he was he was gone that quickly into the. I'm talking about the WWF run now. Um, yeah. You know he did not last as deep into the Hulkamania run as as I thought, and I think some other people might think. Um, I I don't know. I'd have to know more. It's like here's the thing though. It's not like they missed a beat when he was gone, and. You know, it's it's really how much credit do, 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 I really would have to research or I'm definitely not voting for him this year. He's not someone who I would write off. I would have to first dig in and figure out how much credit I want to give him for the early Hulkamania run and then explore uh, some of his other stuff, you know, from uh, from the Mid-Atlantic area and whatnot. So uh, this year it, it's a no, though. Yeah, I just thought of something and it doesn't really go to the booking storylines and all that part of it, but. 
when did no shows really start to become a problem for the WWF during the boom period? It was after he left, right? Well, it was if he like left closer in, to eighty, late eighty six into eighty seven, wasn't it? Well, then he would be gone then because the way. Well, you my guys point being, was it hit? Was he not that it's a Hall of Fame case, but was his organizational skills kind of keeping that in check? It's something that we need to get answered. I don't know. I I, I don't have an answer for that. It's interesting. Because I feel that was something that was something that people didn't really make an issue of. I don't think till late, mm-hmm. right? I mean, when people were really getting on 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 no shows being an issue was like, I feel like that's something like 87 to 90, 91. Like if you think about all their observers and stuff. And that's ancient history in terms of, I mean, he was long gone yeah. uh, if it was that late in the game. So. Now also against him is that the fact that, you know, outside of those runs and maybe runs where he did have more control, he really did not do well, you know, especially after, you know, after Crockett, pre-WWF mm-hmm. and post-WWF because he went to Georgia for a very quick spell where he was I, – I, I'd have to check with Chris Zellner or someone like that to see to remember exactly when, but he did not do well. And he was gone very quickly. He was the booker at the tail end of Leroy, yeah, excuse me, Leroy McGurk's run uh, before he sold the rest of the territory to Bill Watts. And, you know, I don't know exactly how much of them – that is on him i know it's not well regarded but you know i don't know how much ability they had to attract talent at that point and then you know, afterwards he had you have his world-class run which was kind of a disaster really best known for him being able to work out some kind of deal with the wwf where steamboat appeared on a cotton bowl show and then there's his wcw run which is one of the biggest disasters in the history of booking runs, <laughs> which uh, should I should I tell the the, the big story? I, I can tell the one story, right? I think I yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. Right. Okay, go ahead. He was he had not adjusted well to the changes in the business. I think what you know, Jim, Jim Cornette talks about it a bit in the Midnight Express scrapbook. Which, by the way, anyone who does not have that, get it. I actually I never replaced my copy after uh, Hurricane Sandy, and I should probably do that. Uh, he, that he just didn't adjust well. If you read some of the stuff that was written at the time, he was just doing like weird random stuff like that didn't really fly anymore. Like just, I am going to put two baby faces teaming together in a squash match, you know, squashing guys because they're baby faces, but I don't have any plans for these guys as a team, but I'm going to team them. That type of thing. Like where like Eddie Gilbert, like had five different partners in the same TV taping and just, just not adjusting well, not adjusting well to having more guys on a card, all that. So then finally, Class of the Champions 6, the show opposite WrestleMania 5. Originally going to be a pay-per-view, that it wasn't, whatever, but they're still opposite WrestleMania. The weekend before the week, or I guess that weekend, or the, the go-home show of WCW Saturday Night, the announcers were instructed not to mention the special, the Class of the Champions special, because he felt that Steve, Flair Steamboat for free on TV was going to hurt the house shows, which... <laughs> Maybe oh, it would. Yeah, I do maybe remember it, the story now. Yeah. This is now maybe horrible. it would have, but maybe it did. But you know, the way TBS was handling the company was not the thing to do. Steve Beverly calls up Jim Hart after the show airs. He's like, uh, "Did you know that they didn't plug the show at all? Uh, did you tell anyone to do this? No. Well, it seems like your Booker did, and, and, and he was fired." At some point between the show airing and the, cl- I think the clash <laughs> happening, he may have been at the clash just to run the show, but knowing well, he was gone. Right, but, it, it, you know, forget just burying this huge special that you have and burying your television rating. 
Uh, but y- y- you also have to understand the structure in those days, too, where the class shows were the go-home shows for the pay-per-views. So he was in effect telling people not only he not only didn't want people to watch the special, uh, you know, to save the house shows, which was a, a ridiculous theory. But you're also burying your go home show for the pay per view at that point. So you're shooting yourself in the foot twice. That specific even- one wasn't really that. That's but during that period. I mean, most of them were. I mean, he also booked one of the he also booked one of the most notoriously god awful Clash of the Champion shows too, which is the one before that. With the, uh, you know, like 20 minute uh, Steve Casey versus whoever it was match or, you know, Butch Reed, wasn't it? Was, was it Butch? They all got, yes. Butch it was, it was Butch very Reed much Butch Reed. And <laughs> Steve <laughs> Casey, yes. Yeah. But you talked about Steve that Casey, not too long ago. You know, Jack, Lex Luger taking 15 minutes to beat Jack Victory as the blackmailer. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that was an awful show. Uh, yeah. And, and just, the, and booking guy, just the booking guys that. in long matches that shouldn't have been just because he felt like you need to have long matches. That was the uh, that was the the nine and a half minute Butch Reed reverse chin lock when he was yeah we talked we, we Joe and I talked about this one when we were going back and watching against, uh, the old classes yeah, Scott the one that Casey stood out to people. us that, yeah and it's like it's the longest match on the show by like and uh, by leaps of like by like ten minutes I think it's the longest I think it's over t- is that one over twenty minutes because I know Sting versus Butch Reed it from is... Ty Town Rumble is over twenty minutes. It is 17.36. Butch Reed and Scott Casey <laughs> went 18 fucking minutes Not even Scott show. Casey. Not even the guy who was a star. Steve Casey. The guy Steve from Casey. Global. Yeah, we're, we're saying the wrong guy. We're, yeah, you're right. It was Stephen Steve Dane from hair. Global. Yes, yes. Not, right. Not even Scott Casey from WWF. You're absolutely right. That's also the one where Jack Victory did double duty and only had – our theory was – and we talked yes, about this one a lot. Our theory was that, that – right, but our theory was that match went so long because he had just wrestled in the opener and then he wrestled in the third match against Luger. Oh, so, so the whole structure <laughs> of the show was retarded. I tell you what, that show alone is Barry and George Scott. That is awful. Yeah, he uh, so yeah, yeah, victory in the first match against the Midnight Express. Yeah, Butch Reed and Steve Casey go seventeen thirty six, and then Luger faces Jack Victory again for another thirteen minutes. So you you, you got to give. Uh... And then Steamboat and Bob Bradley go six. Steiner and Rip Morgan go four, and then the six man tag team champions Road Warriors Tenru uh, and uh, versus the Varsity oh. Club goes five five fifty three. It was a D, it was yes. a bullshit and finish, DQ, right? Yes. But at least you got that Butch Reed match. So and, 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 were, and it's and it got Giant Bob to stop working. with them. <laughs> it's just a disaster on every level. Oh man, yeah, that's uh, not a fa- St. Valentine's Day massacre one. So it was literally a <laughs> St. Valentine's well, Day massacre. I'll tell you what: if anybody was looking for our keen insight on George Scott, we just buried him on a bunch of ballots. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's the end of George so Scott. That's, that's the last guy on the ballot, at least. <laughs> that is. Now, I, did you want to talk about the Japanese and uh, Mexican candidates more? Did we pretty much cover that? Uh, I mean, not candidates. I mean, potential guys. That yeah, I mean, you had a little bit of thoughts. That you want, bit. Yeah, go go over that quickly. I mean, just you know, as much, as big as it was here, though. I mean, the Mexican ones. It, it was very important. And the magazines. Now you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, getting a little tongue tied. Uh, they were very important, you know, in Mexico, especially because you have to remember, Mexico City. There was no between the 50s and like 1990. There was no wrestling on TV. Like zero because it was considered bad influence for children. So, especially in Mexico City, which is you know, well, it's Mexico City. There, the magazines were how everyone got their information and all that. And you know, in Japan, you know, that's how you know it was big part of influencing and taste making. And you know, ECW got a following in Japan because the magazines decided it was a cool thing to go to. Yeah. 
but I so it was like but they they were more I don't know entrenched. I mean there there's probably someone who could make a, the big case much better than I could, but they probably they probably deserve a little more consideration before. I would say before or after, maybe not Weston, but before or after. And otherwise, I think past them, like the obvious ones, like people that I would say, like if we had a journalist category, because I think we kind of trailed off from that earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would consider putting like some maybe like even notable photographers in there too. Yeah. But not, not no, necessarily not... in the Hall of Fame as it is now. But if 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 there was a separate section. Yeah, and I think there, there there is sort of an importance for that, Joe. I don't know what your, your thoughts is on that because, yeah, I, I I struggle with maybe putting them in this bigger, larger Hall of Fame, but I do think that there should be sort of an area to give them some credit because I do think that they are an important part. I mean, Joe, you sort of mentioned that earlier at the top of the show when you were saying, you know, we sort of – we all have memories of the magazine guys, but how, how much did they make them stars? You know, did they really make – you know, a sting, a notable star. And there's arguments that they, you know, necessarily didn't numbers wise, but to me, there's just still, there's an importance with, you know, written, not, not, not necessarily, you know, written blog, you know, photography, photos, just the coverage of wrestling in that sense. I think there is something important about that. Isn't it important enough to, you know, go into this major hall of fame? I don't know, but something to honor them, what I think would be pretty solid or or at least a, a, a nice alternative. I'll tell you the influence these magazines have. These magazines have convinced everybody that Sting is a viable Hall of Fame candidate. <laughs> because, you know, it's, you know, Sting trading, you know, most popular wrestler victories with Hulk Hogan in the PWI Work to Year End Awards has actually convinced people that Sting was, uh, you know, neck and neck with Hogan in popularity. I thought they just worked the numbers, and the, but they were lit, but the but the winners were legit. I, who the hell knows? I mean, and then you have, <laughs> you've got the PWI 500, which basically accepts... Oh, no. No, that's it, no, that's ex- that's ironclad, Joe. Accepting you applications from from independent wrestlers from Mister Ula La. If he wanted to be on the list, all he had to do was send in a brief description of himself. And uh, why do you why do you always <laughs> pick Mister Ula La? Mister Ula La is a more how, valid choice than like, how can chicken, you not? Do you I mean, remember Chicken Neck? His name is Mister Ula La. How can I not pick him out? I mean, it's a tremendous name. No, my uh, all time favorite is Chicken Neck, though. Do you remember Chicken about, Neck? I do, and I remember T Rantula. No, but let's see if you remember. <laughs> What was the most besides the photo? What was the most memorable thing about the entry for Chicken Neck in that PWI 500? <laughs> I don't know. Fill me in. Weighing in at two dollars twenty-seven cents per pound. <laughs> Fantastic. Stuff. That's enough. No, he should have been number ten for that. Tremendous. I'm it's, okay with that. You know. So I mean, you know. Hopefully, he sent that in on his bio because I don't think I'm, I'm not sure. I'll tell you what. If Bill Apter was creative enough to add that to the bio, then maybe he does belong in Hall. And boom, there he is. <laughs> no, well, I'll still, I'm still going to think that Dean Malenko was the best wrestler in 1997, and Masawa was second to him. So the, I'm okay. Hey, with man, that. the Miz was number one like two years ago. Really? Uh, oh God, I yes, didn't he was. To say really like Miz. I just said really. Really, in 2011, he uh, he beat Randy Orton, John Cena, Kane. Uh, Alberto Del Rio, Mr. Anderson, who slid in there in the top 10, uh, was, Rey Mysterio, Eddie Edwards, and CM Punk. I was going to say, I thought 2011 was the year that they accidentally put uh, Hiroyoshi Tenzan instead of Hiroshi Tanahashi, but I think that was 2012 because there was one year where Tenzan was inexplicably like number eight, and this was actually before they even reformed Tenkoji. There was zero basis for this. He was basically in a slightly better role than Nakanishi was in, and he he was popping up at number eight of the PWI 500, and it was so obvious they mixed him up with Tanahashi. And uh, what what year was that, Rich? Was that I guess it was 2012. Uh, I'm not seeing it. I, I remember it happening, but I don't see it on the top ten. Well, you know they why? Because they, 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 they revised it. it. 
Yes. Oh, they did. Okay, all they right. Revised right, right, it, but right. if you have the original copy, it is Tenzon checking in in the top ten in one of those years, a good eight years past his prime, which I which I always thought was funny. And right. then there's a there's always that funny story that Mike Quackenbush used to tell, where uh, somebody brought him to the meeting for the PWI 500, and they told him, look, they don't they don't like. Uh, they, they like to throw in one or two Japanese wrestlers, but we're here to talk about American wrestlers. So don't annoy them with talk of Japanese wrestlers. So the first thing Quackenbush does when he gets in the room and they ask him for his opinion is he runs off the names of about 25 Japanese wrestlers and everybody in the room gets annoyed, but it turned out that it was a rib. But I can't remember. I think it was Apter who they were pulling the rib on and, and, and who, who, was, who it was that brought him to the meeting. So, uh, yeah, they, they, they were notorious for there was definitely a, a quota that they wanted to hit with the Japanese wrestlers and, and, and they would not go over that quota. So. Also worth pointing out the undertaker was not in the P- first PWI 500. He had to give, be given an amended ranking in the next issue. That's I forgot that they did amended rankings in the following uh, week's issue. That that's, I think it was the only, I think it was only the first year though. Which year was that? 91. 91. Oh, 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 I see. Okay. And then, you know, another thing that used to do is, uh, <laughs> at the end of the list each year, they would give you a list of guys who fell off from the year before, yes. and they would tell you why. It would say like the letter I for if they were inactive or injured or whatever. And D then it, for deceased. D for deceased, right? And then there would be one. There would be like N for name change. And when I was a kid, that's how I would figure out who was like under masks or who changed gimmicks, you know, oh, yeah. the, because you would just go back and you'd, you'd write down all the guys that had the name changes. And then you'd write, you'd, you'd figure out by process of elimination, you know, Oh, all right. So Hercules is super invader in WCW. All right. <laughs> now it all makes sense. You know? So they would give you those little clues so you can figure out, you know, who these guys were, who were working under masks. Oh, but oh, by the way, the referee thing we talked about earlier, just curious for each of you. If you were going to pick one referee to put in, not necessarily that you would vote, but if you were picking one who had the best case, do you go with Tommy, someone like Tommy Young, who would be considered the best referee and the guy who referees should study? Or do you go with someone like a Joe Huguchi or a Johnny Red Shoes Dugan, who was kind of a star unto themselves, but was also considered a, a great of, referee, but also considered a office influence as well. Yeah. So, you know, you factor that stuff. I really don't know. I, I, I Yeah, the refs are so hard for me to get a handle on. I, I This ballot gives me enough of a headache that to see <laughs> Don't add please don't add referees. Yeah, I gotta try to figure out the refs and what their influence was and uh, you know, you, you factor in the other little roles that they had and, and some of those roles were fairly significant for a lot of these referees, you know. It's it's over the years. So it's 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 just interesting to me that we haven't even no one has really discussed referees to this point that's more interesting to me than actually figuring out uh which ones do belong and now there was one guy i wanted to mention just because i don't know if he's someone i'd vote for but i thought he was it was interesting that he's never really come up which is uh sam meniker just because he was an announcer and an office guy in a lot of territories and usually someone who was kind of prolific like that gets pushed harder because i mean if you think about it he was very important part of Calgary, and this is when they were doing great business at their peak in like the 50s and 60s, and uh, Bruiser's Territory. I mean, that's where he's best known for. And Australia during the glory years, you know, during the best years of that territory, or at least some of the best years uh, for Jim Barnett, you know, as an announcer and an office guy. So I just I just felt like mentioning him since we were doing this, and I, I, mm-hmm. I don't even know if I'd vote for him or anything, but you know what I mean? It's like someone, usually someone who's been a 
kind of around the block that much, you kind of expect to hear more about. You know what, though? It probably hurts them because, you know, as an announcer, it, it's kind of like if you're in one place for decades, you become an institution. Yeah. And if you're bouncing around, you don't kind of get mm-hmm. that effect, you know, because, you know, because, you know, you think Calgary, you think cranky. Uh, what's the name? Uh, cranky uh, Whalen. So, you know, cranky Ed Whalen. So, uh, you know, you know, shitting on the on the angles he didn't like and cutting the cameras <laughs> off. So, you know, because he's the institution because he was there forever, whether he was good or not, uh, almost does. It's the same thing in sports when these guys, these local hometown announcers stay with these teams for years and years and years and they become local institutions and, you know, they get reputations that are better than what their actual output was so i think that would probably hurt a guy like that yeah i'd be curious to check with someone like in australia at least if like who who's considered the legendary you know announcer there isn't maniker is it one of the you know local guys who stayed like jack little um and then i guess i would think in indianapolis though he's the he would be the considered the guy do you think bookers are underrepresented hmm it's a pretty well, important how role many, in the grand scheme. Like, are there guys who were who were more Booker managers, Booker wrestlers, as there's opposed composite, to Booker promoters? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's composite guys. I don't. So, well, I mean, so who are we talking about? So, like a Gary Hart type candidate, because there, oh, there aren't a lot of guys who are just Bookers. Yeah. Well, what about? Yeah, I'm kind of. I'm, I'm trying to go well, through who, the list who is right there that, that would be in for that partially, and that. What about that Heyman? Should be why, why, why did Heyman get in? I mean, he's a composite guy, but I think a lot of people. I think, and, and we talked uh, about Heyman's Watts a guy who I think went in for being for what people think of him as a Booker. I would say he's in as a Booker. So, you, mm-hmm. and and Watts probably as well to some extent, although like we discussed earlier, more of a composite guy with three different facets. But I would, th- I think, without the booking component, is Watts in? I, I don't, I don't think so. And not in the first class. I don't think. And, you know, as we've seen, Jerry Jarrett struggling to get in and obviously a a pretty uh, prolific booker known for being a tremendous booker. Um, It's interesting. You know, you don't really see, uh, you know, it's such a major. Uh, Roy Shire is in there. No, so it's it's and clearly it's a little bit. Yes. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a little weird. You know, you would think that there would be more guys, uh, promoted for their pure bookers. Yeah. Not much. As far as on the Uh, ballot, you have, you also have Mark Lewin, who a lot of people use his, 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 uh, his booking jobs against him because, you know, you know, the whole story where they kind the feeling is that he, his stuff with, with King Curtis would kill territories and all that. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's, and then there's, um, I'm skeptical of how much of that is real and how much of that is legend, though. I mean, it's it's a weird part of the world, man, where the stories are uh, are sketchy at best sometimes. So um, who knows? We've been trying to find an Australian expert. We've been coming up on dead ends. Um, who's so, the guy who sent the thing into the Observer site? We tried to contact him. Um, what was his? Uh, Graham, right? Yes. Graham something. This is not a conversation to be having on the air because no, not at all. But this is uh, this is some brutal, (laughs) awful radio right now. Yeah, this is terrible. I need to sign this bad boy out. David Mixenspan, tell us all about you, where people can follow you, where you do all your writing and all that good stuff. Okay, you can follow me at David Bix on Twitter. Um, You can also check out my work at Figure F. Yeah, that was great. F four W online. You know, I always, I always in my head. Don't think that Brian that Brian Alvarez should say f4wonline.com slash wrestlingobserver.com. Yet still, I'm not really sure what to call it myself. 
I write Rager Figure Four. Yeah. I write Figure Four e- weekly each week. WrestlingObserver.com. Uh, been writing some Hall of Fame stuff the last few weeks. Hope people have been enjoying it. Hope it gets through to some people. Um, also, uh, you know, Fighting Spirit Magazine got something in there just about every month. Also, right now, serving as a writer slash editor slash whatever at WhatCulture.com. Check out my stuff there. Have some other stuff I'm trying to work on right now, but you'll know about that once I actually do it. Uh, and also, also trying to put together a new podcast soon, but also, well, I'm sure you'll hear about that soon. And I'm, I am tra- I am sounding like a, a stammering mess right now. Somebody save me. He, uh, <laughs> so it's time for you to did, go. He, yeah. he, I don't know, Rich, if you read the figure four last week, but he plugged the Voices of Wrestling in the very first line of the news. I did, yes. Uh, so, Thank you. So there you go. Yes. It's high praise indeed. So David McSpan, uh, I didn't praise off, you, I praised Dylan. He pl- well, he'll be on there, yeah. He plugged us in the first line, voice wrestling. <laughs> that's all that matters. It's kind of like, you know, it, it, you know, even if you get bad publicity as a promoter, as long as they get the date and the venue right, that's all that really matters. And it said voices of wrestling in the figure four newsletter. So that's all that matters. <laughs> that's good enough for us. Yes. So all right, Bix. Uh, any last thoughts before we head out of here? Um, I don't know. I might be changing my mind on Larry Madizik, but I don't want to get you guys started. That could be, yeah. We don't want to be... You, you, and you chose to bring that up an hour and 58 right minutes. Now. Well, that's because I'm just trolling at this point. I'm just... Yeah. I'm just, I just, I just that's decided. what I well, I, I guess we can do a roll-up. Who are your five... Are you voting for five, and who are the five right now? Um, you're putting me on the spot. I'll do it to too. Open I'll put my myself, phone. too, but you go first. All right, I'll go first now. This doesn't that? have to be final. You can change right. when you get Yeah, these are, this is my feeling right now. I'm going Jimmy Hart. Uh, that's a lock. Gene Okerlund is a lock. Jerry Jarrett, I'm locked in. Don Owen, I'm locked in. And my number five slot as of right now, but not locked in, is Jesse Ventura. Okay, so as of me, as of, bleh, I don't know why this keeps happening to me the last half hour. Maybe it's just getting <laughs> too late. Uh, as of right now, Dave Brown, Jimmy Hart, Jerry Jarrett, Gene Okerlund, and oh, I did, I did keep John Owen then. I think that's what it was that I dumped Finkel and kept Owen. There you go, and that could probably change <laughs> many times before. We yeah, get I have not settled on my the, the main part of my ballot at all. No, yet. and that, that's perfectly okay. But anyway, Bix, thank you for joining us again here talking non wrestlers, wrestling was over Hall of Fame. For Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Critch, and we'll see you next time on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast. Take care. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.